It's time for Windows Weekly. Paul Thorat's here. Richard Campbell is here. Some sad news in Redmond. Some big layoffs ahead for Microsoft. We'll also talk about AI, Microsoft's investment in OpenAI.org and what it's going to mean for Windows. And 12 years after Windows 8 and Surface, Apple might be adding touchscreens to the Mac. Paul Thorat asks, why? It's all coming up next on Windows Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Windows Weekly with Paul Thorat and Richard Campbell. Episode 812, recorded Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Pessimism pays. Windows Weekly is brought to you by Lenovo, orchestrated by the experts at CDW to help transform your organization with Lenovo ThinkPads, equipped with the Intel Evo platform for effortless connectivity and collaboration from anywhere. Learn more at cdw.com slash Lenovo client and by Tanium. Tanium unites operations and security teams with a single platform that identifies where all your IT data is, patches every device you own in seconds, and implements critical security controls all from a single pane of glass. Are you ready to protect your organization from cyber threats? Learn more at tanium.com slash twit. Thanks for listening to this show as an ad-supported network. We are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Windows Weekly. Get ready, winners and dozers. Time to talk about Microsoft with these handsome fellas right here. (laughs) Thank you for that pause. I was thinking of an appropriate description. Whatever they are. These lovely gentlemen on your left. humans. Paul Therott. (laughs) Therott.com, leanpub.com. Long-time host of the show, 800... First-time caller. 12 episodes. Uh, on your right, our newest member of the team, the wonderful Richard Campbell from Runners Radio and .NET Rocks from beautiful Coquitlam in British Columbia. Well, well, Good to be here. I that's appreciate like a the Mexican search for the superlative. Coquitlam. <laughs> Coquitlam. From the ancient... Well, it is Tukikwan. Indian, right? That's an Indian... Uh, yeah, it's from the Quaquitlam Band, where Quaquitlam literally strain, translated means stinky mud. Stinky mud. Well, from Stinky see. Mud, B.C. There you I go. can see why you kept it in the original. <laughs> <laughs> Petaluma means the back of the mountain, I think. Yeah. Did we talk about this last week? I think we did. The idea that uh, place names last a lot longer. The mountain's longer. patoot. And uh, it was part of the way, part of the valuable information that helped them decode the Rosetta Stone was that place names rarely change. Yeah, I should uh, make a run by the British Museum, see all the stuff they stole. They stole next week. Well, well, you can. So (laughs) some of it's going back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those Elgin marbles. I think think the Egyptians have requested the Rosetta Stone back, and that's right. Oh, Oh, interesting. That's interesting. Oh, there is uh, the next big thing is going to be that. the marble, uh, the Elgin marble like front piece from the uh, yeah, from the uh, it's the, really. Uh, well, we went to uh, we went to uh, the Athens has a beautiful museum now, yeah, and we went there and they have they, they have, actually have a place for it. Yeah, like they, they literally do. Like, yeah, they have the beautiful. you know because it's yeah. the 
It's the pediment yep. on top of the uh, the Parthenon, mm-hmm. and they have a few, and then they have an yeah. outline for the ones the Brits have. <laughs> That's great, <laughs> and it's it's like it's a good move. Eh, eh, we want these back. We want yeah. these back. Well, the argument used to be the Greeks can't take care of this stuff, and since then they've not true. Like you said, built this beautiful yeah, museum and, and have yeah, yeah, these yeah. wonderful facilities. Although. We can thank, you know, the various invaders and marauders as we should uh, for preserving some of it. Although the Acropolis was shelled, bombarded, was it Napoleon? Somebody bombarded it and destroyed it. And uh, so, you know, but way back in the 19th century or so. The Germans put ammunition in the Parthenon during World War II. Maybe it it was in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't get destroyed. Right. Right. And it's a clever trick. And that's your history lesson for the week. That's right. Thanks for joining Here's us. Here's some random facts we know about history. We know some things. <laughs> yes, we do. 70% of it's probably true. Yeah. I I guarantee a close on the history of brown liquor by the end of the day. Oh, that will be fun. <laughs> be prepared. That will be fun. What do oh, aficionados call it? Because there's whiskey, there's bourbon, there's Irish whiskey, there's Canadian whiskey. Yeah, I think whiskey's sort of the generic whiskey's term. Whiskey's the... the and if it's in North America, then it has an E. And if it isn't in North America, it doesn't. We had a little debate because I think we used the word whiskey in one of our titles. And I was asked, um, are you going to use an complained. E or not? And I said, you know, yeah. I don't think so. I think I'll not use an E. But yeah. if you're talking Scottish, then, yeah, leave off the E. But you're yeah, going with the continental bourbon, spelling. Bourbon you must e. be a Yale man. <laughs> oh, my God, a <laughs> Yale man. Yeah, E's are for the colonies. Yes. Yeah. E's are for the colonies. Oh, that's easy to remember. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. Let us talk about Windows because there's a big story that broke this morning. Yeah. Big layoffs coming to uh, Microsoft. Yep. As rumored, you know, 24 hours ago by an incredible, like first it was Bloomberg, then it was everybody, <laughs> you know. Um, I should not, I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, Microsoft is going to lay off 10,000 people, uh, between now and the end of March, which is the end of their fiscal third quarter. They're going to take a $1.2 billion charge, uh, related to this, um, kind of belated in a sense, because, uh, this is happening all across big tech, right? Um, see if I can rattle off some of the company names. <laughs> it's, you know, meta, um, Amazon, I can't, I can't, uh, Salesforce, uh, you know, a bunch yeah. of companies are doing this. Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that strikes is most striking about this. Well, actually, I say there's two things. Uh, one thing is that they specified engineering, which is kind of interesting. Um, and Microsoft has 221,000 employees right now. They're yeah. huge. That's insane. So this is only 5%. Uh, and they also yeah, hired 40,000 last year alone. Exactly. Right? I mean, which was itself number. a 22% increase over the prior year. Some of this is just, um, in other words, laying off the the extra staff hired during pandemic. Right. And then I guess to put this in perspective, one of the bad things that happened right when Satya Nadella took over is they basically laid off almost everyone involved with Windows Phone from Nokia. And that was 18,000 people, right, back in 2014. Including letting go of Stephen Elop, like... By all accounts, it was, you know, from the head. Yeah. Down. Wow. It was like, hey, welcome to Microsoft. Um, if you'll continue through the room, you can get your exit package. And uh, thanks for coming. But laying off Elop was also a little bit like, screw you, Nokia, right? Like, we, this was a bad idea. We're sorry we did it. And we're going to get rid of all. Yeah. It's, I, a, well, it's, he, a, um, it's erasing the remnants of, of the ugly history. Because right. Nutella did not want to buy Nokia, that. right? That's exactly right. Yeah. 
But yeah. also, I think Elop was very much a bomberite and uh, yeah. and an aggressive personality. So I oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Well, he wanted to be CEO, and he was seen as a a lot of people unfairly, I think. But so I'm a sort of a Trojan horse. Like he had gone to Nokia specifically because this was going to happen at some point. Um, I, the truth is, Steve and Elop wanted to run a company. You know, and yeah. um, and whatever we can debate what he did at Nokia. I I think he. Uh, I think you did the best with a bad hand. Maybe they were the in a tough situation. No choice about it. I've yep. read the books. Like yep. they yep. building an operating system for a phone, especially for, for From other scratch. third parties to develop against. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. hard problem. Like it's difficult yep. to do well. That's and, right. Uh, and, you know, ask the BlackBerry folks. They had a tough time too. I, yep. I did some I custom development the on folks, BlackBerry. <laughs> and we remember one point we had to do custom builds per version of the ROMs. Yeah, like that's how unabstracted it was, and Nokia right. had similar problems with their stuff. That's why right. did it? Why, yeah, did, why did it matter did what ROM version? Just the way that they the were OS incompatible started APIs. Yeah, that kind of thing. The way they loaded things into memory, it just means oh, if you God. weren't running the exact version, it wouldn't run. That's correctly. no fun for a developer. Nope, they have it to just query develop on the stack. What ROM version and all that? That's really well. Know. This was the issue with Windows Mobile before Windows Phone, right? That not the yeah. ROM version necessarily, but just the number of different configurations made developing for that platform very difficult. I guess that happens because in OEMs Android were less; they were too. free to do whatever I mean, they wanted. You got to know which version of Android you're running on, and Windows too. So I guess it's not so weird, but. Yeah, I do you, remember the you, early version. You want of, more compatibility, right? Like yeah, most said, the most would be best. <laughs> yes, and most of the time, just to recompile is enough. I mean, we right. certainly run into this issue with iPhone native apps, sure. where every time there's a new OS release, minimum you have to recompile and redeploy. Right. There's always new yeah. uh, APIs, new new features, and old ones deprecated, and so forth. I do remember the early days of Windows Phone; it didn't handle uh, SD cards. Uh, well, at all, at all, actually, at all. <laughs> didn't have copy and paste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the first version was rushed to market, which makes sense. I mean, honestly. Um, but anyway, whatever. Windows Phone is ancient history, but um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I, I have, I've not heard from anyone that I know yet from Microsoft about these layoffs. Um, I'm curious if I will. Mm, uh, I, if I do, it's usually bad news. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've. I've there were certainly hints. There was also a lot of push when I was talking to folks, you know, a few weeks ago, they were saying, Hey, we're, we're minimizing expenses and things so that we don't have to have layoffs. You know, right. they, they keep their travel budget very tight, that that's kind right. of thing. But clearly that it wasn't enough. That's actually uh, right. That's part of the story, right? They went into this kind of late because they were trying to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, it's a small number. It's a, it's a 25% of what they hired last year. So <laughs> right. for the most part, yeah. It, yep, I, I did talk to a friend of mine who has been caught in the layoffs, and he'd only been oh. in role for about a year and a half. Um, right. And they, you know, they're pretty generous. So he'll he's working through to the end of the week, and then he'll have till the end of March to find a new role. Yeah, that's the way to do reaching it. out to him. That's really the way to do it. Which is well, and I think this is humane. what we're actually seeing here. Yeah, not only just yeah. generous severance, but also this is a, a cheaper and a simpler way to do a reorg. Yeah, yeah. They need, <laughs> yep. to, they need to change some realignment so they lay off areas that need realigning and then those folks who want to stay in and find new roles find new roles and work continues and those that mm-hmm. don't go on to other things but are fairly generously compensated right. they're actually very generous right so they're going to continue healthcare coverage for six months they're going to continue vesting mm-hmm. of stock awards for six months 
They're going to offer career transfer services, 60 days uh, notice prior to termination, et cetera, et cetera. In the U.S., I should say. Um, it's, you know, they're they're trying to do this with, well, as he said, uh, not Sachin Adele, I believe, used the term dignity and respect, right? Mm-hmm. Bravo. Bravo. As, by the way, he flies back from Davos on his private jet and probably <laughs> makes about $1.5 billion a year. But yeah, you know, for sure, sure. Well, they, yeah. And do you think they overhired in pandemic? I mean, this is yeah, really absolutely all of all of these companies are doing well, this. There was also a period where you couldn't hire anybody at Microsoft, too. Right. Because the other tech giants had bumped up all the wages a bunch. So there was like a window there where yeah, yeah. they were running cold and resisting raising wages. And then the dam broke. You know, when it stopped and suddenly they had a huge block of hiring happen all at once Yeah. Uh, to the point where, again, folks that I've talked to were like, oh, hey, you know, it's a big company. And you're like, we haven't been able to hire anybody for a couple of months. And suddenly it all came through and it was thousands of people. And like the onboarding process was overwhelmed and it was too many people. Yeah. Like they they'd overfilled the role. So there was a there was a shakeup there as well. So I think there was some anxiety around hiring that they grabbed what they could because it felt like there was a, a rush going on. And now that's subsided. Yeah. Which is bad news for the people getting laid off. Yeah. Well, this is the story to Amazon, uh, you know, and probably all the rest of big tech as well. There was a big hiring boom during the uh, pandemic. I, I, I think before Richard joined, I, I think we had this conversation where it kind of bothered me how unsophisticated it was. These companies thought that, or didn't understand this was temporary, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, Amy Hood had come out at one point and said, wow, um, you know, we we kind of forgot how important Windows was. I, I, you know, we're going to start investing in that. Oh again. my God! Are you, kidding? are you are you kidding? What's me? Windows? You know, holy yeah, cow. window. People use Windows. I, I mean, who knew? Well, I feel like you should know. You know, C uh, level executive at Microsoft. I thought that was kind of clueless. And then, of course, on the flip side, you get the uh, well, you get the flip side, <laughs> which is you know, now we have too many employees. We have too many costs. We need to tighten our belts. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 a classic story uh, told many times. I I would also say that the numbers are low enough here, in relative to the number of employees, like there's a normal two or three percent turnover, like that's kind of normal in a company this size. Anyway, five yeah. percent. Like part of me wonders so, if this is just an announcement because they have to say, yeah, we're doing it too. <laughs> This is a good segue for me to uh, bring in the notion of personality. So last week, Richard and I chatted before the show and I asked him how he was doing. And Richard said, I have nothing to complain about. And I said, those words have never crossed my mind or my lips. I, <laughs> I, I always have something to complain about. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I worry that this is the, not the only set round of layoffs, right? That, um, you know, that may, you know, three months ago will go by and they'll say, you know, we, we tried to, we did what we did before we tried to do the best we could. And we're still a little top heavy, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where I come from. Um, I'm just, that's my, the thing I'm worried about. I agree with you. This is a 10,000 people is a lot of people. It's also a very small number in the context of their, you know, their overall employee ranks. So, you know, and we'll, their we'll 180 billion a year income, like it's not like they're struggling to pay the rent. Well, they're they're looking to spend uh, seventy billion dollars almost on Activision uh, Blizzard. They are they have spent, or well, uh, they have spent somewhere around three billion so far in OpenAI, and are looking to spend another ten. Um, but you guys, no, oh no, I turned to pandemic. No, sorry, you gotta go. <laughs> you know, whatever you're doing, it's yeah, that's hey, over. It's not like um, their Twitter selling off the furniture. No, 
No, no, the leadership at Microsoft is considerably better than that at Twitter. I think that's, <laughs> that's not saying much. Right. That's a very low yeah. bar. That yeah. being said, I do plan to bid on a couple of pieces. I think it's too late. <laughs> uh, it's over. It was over an hour and 20 minutes ago. Oh, it's a good, it's it was over. over. It was just a 24 hour uh, auction. I think the leadership oh, at the local Hardee's is better than that at Twitter right now. <laughs> but um, hmm. that's too bad. Yeah, I would, yeah. you know, there's some things I, I you know, all of the, um, Objects were like five dollars to start before they got any bidding, sure. right? Before they were so, yeah. But uh, they ended up being fairly. Uh, I think some deals. I mean, do you need sure. twenty whiteboards? Because <laughs> I can get. Well, you hopefully, some. if this happens to Microsoft, so we could buy like the source code to Visual Basic three or something, <laughs> and open that source nice? it and bring it back. Yeah, wouldn't that yeah. be nice? Uh, the bird, but some of the things like the bird statue went for like fifteen thousand dollars. Wow! Sure. Some of the stuff went for uh, a lot of money. I was, you know, there's a few of these that are over in just a few more minutes. But, you know, the, the auctions will end. Oh, I while thought we're still I thought there. it all ended at ten a.m. Pacific. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Right. Well, that's a relief. Quickly, do you want to get in there and? and well, there's a couple of big mixers here that are very exciting. There was a, the whole kitchen. <laughs> like Elon said, ah, we're not going to give you is, food. Will, will no. this save Twitter? Is that what's happening? Well, Is it's funny. Everything. The uh, the spokesman. You're having a yard sale. The spokesman from the uh, auction uh, house, Global Heritage Partners, said, "Anybody who thinks that this is going to help a 44 billion dollar yeah, yeah. bottom it's line, it's like having a bake sale at a church." He said, "Is a moron." Like we raised 110 dollars. It was amazing. <laughs> You're a moron. Uh, which I thought was kind of impolitic for a marketing guy, but you know, you know, whatever. Let's see. Let me see what we can get still. I'm just, oops, that's the wrong. Oh, they still got a few screens for sale. You got okay. like a minute, an hour over. left a bit on these. Oh, good. Twitter long. online auction sale featuring what surplus we... <laughs> corporate offered assets of Twitter. Oh, this oh, definitely looks like a building's worth of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Oh, I have to register to bid? Oh, forget about it. <laughs> forget you about it. You can't just it. use iBid? Dot com. It should just be, yeah, Apple Pay, man. Apple Pay. Well, somebody's bid 6000 bucks on a chair. Four minutes left to get a Blodgett BCX 14G double full-size combi oven. Double full-size combi oven. 29000 but, but this is a deal. The steam-jacketed tilting kettle currently uh, only 3900 bucks. How, how many steam-jacketed tilting kettles do you need? I think one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Or zero. One, one will do. Well, if you're making a lot of soup, I guess. I don't know what it is. If you're making a lot of soup. <laughs> so the that, kitchen stuff that is the last the to go. That was the rationalization. Yeah. The mm. kitchen stuff is the last to go. But I bet you there are some people got some deals here. Yeah, there's here's still pages and pages. Here's a 20-gallon vegetable dryer for just $850. Yeah. Did you know Electrolux, besides making vacuums, Makes vegetable dryers? I oh. did not. The is it an attachment slicer. for a, a vacuum cleaner? That'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> Dry your vegetables while you clean your home. Here's, oh, you know, you ever want to make your own heroes at home? Here's a, mm -hmm. a, a gas hero broiler. 2200. Oh, is that like a, like a spit for a... Yeah, you've seen those in the windows, yeah. right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I making your euros? Euros? Mm-mm-mm. There oh, God, go. that is labor intensive. I think all the office yeah, I, stuff you'd is You'd be better gone. off just buying oh, one no. at a store. Here's an 
Epifan Video Pearl 2 live production system. Bunch of projectors. It's a good auction. I hope it saves Twitter. That's all I can say. It's going to fix everything. A lot of polycoms. We were able to bring on one more moderator. <laughs> Everything's fine. For one some, of the, some people are stupid and overbidding. The 27-inch iMac for 1300 bucks. Uh-uh. Yeah. Well, it has a tw- Twitter sticker on it. Oh, it has a Twitter sticker. Oh, it, a Twitter sticker. That makes it valuable. Yep. Half an hour left. Oh, wow. I thought I'd missed out. The complete multifunction entertainment system, audio, and video. You know, the people buying this stuff are the same people paying Twitter now to get a little blue logo on their stupid profile or whatever. Oh, my God. This is a mess. Well, oh, if I can get a tilting kettle for eight bucks, I'm excited. Eight bucks, yes. <laughs> oh, God. No wonder Twitter's fail whale. Look at the wiring on this thing. Come on, man. That's pathetic. Their AV squad was subpar, clearly. Big TV, six hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, I think it's time for the gong. Where's Mary? Jo? Enough. You've had enough. No more Twitter. <laughs> this is no more Twitter crap. Not get a bunch of jam, on, Google Jam boards. Target. All right, all right. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you're missing out. All right, what's next in the uh, agenda? Actually, I'll tell you what's next in the agenda. I'm gonna do an ad <laughs> so that uh, Richard can quickly jump on that tilting steam kettle. Thanks, Oh, man. (laughs) This episode of Windows Weekly brought to you by, yay, Lenovo, orchestrated by the experts at CDW. The helpful people at CDW understand as the world changes, your organization needs to adapt quickly to be successful. You don't need any more tilting steaming kettles. You need some Lenovo from CDW. CDW can keep your business ahead of the curve. With Lenovo ThinkPads, like this baby I got right here. These powerful devices deliver the business class performance you're looking for thanks to Windows 10 and the Intel Evo platform. With your remote teams working across the country and around the world, collaboration isn't a problem because Lenovo ThinkPads keep your organization productive and connected from anywhere. Plus, CDW knows your workforce has different work styles, needs flexibility. That's why Lenovo ThinkPads are equipped with responsive tools and built-in features that let your team work seamlessly across their favorite tools. Think about that for a second. Let's not forget about security, of course. These high-performing machines protect at the highest level with built-in hardware to guard against modern threats without slowing your team down. When you need to get more out of your technology, Lenovo makes seamless productivity possible. CDW makes it powerful. Learn more at cdw.com slash Lenovo client. Thank you, CDW, for supporting Windows Weekly. cdw.com slash Lenovo client. Actually kind of intrigued by, they showed it at CES, the Lenovo phone that goes with the Lenovo laptops and does that seamless connectivity thing that Samsung and Windows uh, do. Should I buy one of those? It looks like a pretty nice phone. Are they going to send you one, Paul? The ThinkPhone. I am going to look in. Yeah, I'm going to see if I I get a lot of Lenovo stuff review, so I'd love to take a look at that. Yeah, I I don't know if you noticed, but I replaced that Dell with my nice uh, ThinkPad. Because the Dell, no, I was, I did not know. That's yeah, not, I was having oh, some, no, you talked about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the, uh, the old, the old X1 Extreme, which I, you know, Extreme, has, that's right. it may be old. It's like a eighth gen. Oh, it's got like an eight series processor. It's yeah. Nice. Eighth gen i7, but it's a nice, I, 
I forgot how much I like Lenovo's. The thing anyway, phone is made by Motorola. Yeah, right? that's like, the which whole are, which is but, owned which by, is owned by Lenovo. So it's like right. it makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird they haven't done that before. Well, maybe it's just taking that long to line the teams up, right? Yeah, to get to that point where they're collaborating. For, initially, and this was my concern when Google sold Motorola to uh, Lenovo was that they wouldn't, because yeah. I loved those old Mor- Motorola phones. Uh, I remember the ones you could uh, customize and have like a wood back or a bamboo yeah, back, and they yeah. had all that stuff. It was really nice. You yeah. could also customize. It's the only phone I ever had the wake word, so you didn't have to say, hey, Goog. Right. I, I had mine say, I said, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you say, hey, Goog, Steve Guggenheimer pops up on the bottom <laughs> of your screen. That's what you don't want. <laughs> so, so uh, Like Clippy, only different. Yeah. What was it? The <laughs> Motorola, was it called the X? I remember going to Google. I had a Motorola X for sure. I think that was the that. one with the, the, they could customize the back yeah. and the material. They had a whole yeah. yep. Motorola yep. customization website where you could do all yeah. Beautiful. And then Lenovo bought them. And for a long time, they did keep it kind of like traditional. The Moto Gs were very much like mm-hmm. the old Moto Xs. Um, but I think it's time maybe that they, and this looks a lot like a ThinkPad. Uh, yeah. It has that same design. Yeah, um, look and feel is beautiful. Yeah. And um, you have to think if Windows Phone had you know, succeeded somehow, there would have been a ThinkPad <laughs> phone based on Windows Phone. Don't get they, me know. started. Don't I get do me think started. that Lenovo dual screen PCs really kind of fun. Really? I think that's fun. Right? It's fun. Yeah, it's interesting. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're trying to do something different. Um, Everyone is. I mean, it's yeah. that one's really out there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, Richard is a guy, if you don't mind me saying, is who travels with an external display, right? So I do. He uses his laptop with an external display. I find that uh, very. Uh, you have like a fourteen inch or bigger? Yeah, a fifteen. It's yeah. a four K as well, which is really nice. It's a great screen to look yeah. at. Yeah, but I've, I, I have one of those kind of like it's USB. It's not a fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah, portable. USB-C, of course, yeah. For yeah a you carry it around. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, for a while yeah. there, I carried two, but it made people angry. I'm angry just hearing about it. You're like, hey, you're not in an airline cockpit, buddy. Yeah. Would you Would you in the plane, would you set the two up? No. Uh, no, no, in the speaker's lounge, right? But even no, that no, would no, make no, sense. I mean, you know, like, just like, yeah, exactly. You're in a room with other What are you, day trading? Like you and they're all like, they're like, dude, I'm on a laptop. What are you doing? <laughs> the correct amount of screen space is more. <laughs> I agree. Yep. Although it does bring to mind the word <laughs> nerd. Yeah, uh, of course. Let's talk about. Uh, did you? Did you, you talked about Amazon's eighteen thousand layoffs, right? In this, yeah, context. just you know, yeah. just because it's also everybody's happening. doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Right. Let's talk AI. We talked last week about yeah. the rumor that Microsoft was going to put another ten billion into right. Open AI. Yeah, so Satya Nadella destroyed the ecosystem and flew in his private jet to Davos, and then he admitted that Microsoft was doing all those things we speculated about last week. But it was really interesting to hear him kind of spell it out, because it's kind of like a three-point kind of a, a thing, right, or a strategy, right? So obviously, Azure is the place to go for AI. Uh, they open, you know, they announced some services there. They want to make the foundational models that resulted in ChatGPT into platforms, that anyone can build on top of. And they announced specifically they will make APIs for chat GPT. And then, of course, they're going to integrate AI across the stack. And this is the thing that, to me, is the most meaningful thing in the world. And it, it, it speaks to this frustration I've had with Microsoft over the past at least 10 years, which is that 
as the focus at the company has turned to the cloud, because that's what got them to the market cap they're at now. That's what reinvigorated their stock price after literally 15 years of it flatlining at $35. Um, you, you, they just, that's all they pay attention to. So every quarter they announce all their earnings. They don't want to talk about legacy. They don't talk about office. They don't, well, they talk about office a little bit. They don't talk about windows. They don't talk about Xbox. And what I mean by that is of course they talk about those things, but there's no numbers. There's no hard numbers. All the, it's all cloud, 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 cloud. They invent this uh, non-existent business that used to be commercial cloud. I forget the new name for that, but it's sort of this aggregation of things from across microphone that's all Microsoft that's all cloud-related, and they can say, huh, look at this. It's bigger than AWS. Yeah, we're huge. We're big. We're cloud, you know? And that kind of overemphasis on the cloud took away an emphasis that used to exist for the part of the company that I care about, which is the client, you know, pr primarily Windows, but also all the things that, kind of surround windows in that ecosystem. And the thing that's exciting about AI to me is that it infuses across the stack. It's client and server. So if you're kind of an Azure guy and that's where you're at and that's all you care about, you know what? AI is going to transform Azure. There is no doubt about it. But for people like me who have been kind of sitting in the corner in the dark, you know, for many years now, all of a sudden there's something exciting happening on the client. And I, like something truly exciting, right? Um, I can't, off the top of my head, like what was the last thing that was anything even close to this? I, Longhorn? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's been a long time. Um, and Longhorn worked out great, so there's no reason to think this isn't going to work out great. Isn't but there kind anyway, of a... I, I, this is the thing I'm, this is, this is the reason I think this AI stuff is so exciting because it's something that can energize basically all of Microsoft. This will impact... The entire company, but specifically because of the consumer client side, like Microsoft's not mm -hmm. great with consumers in general. I mean, one would argue the last time they really pushed on anything for consumers, it was the Surface devices. Yeah, you're right. That. And, or maybe, yeah, I guess maybe Windows Phone. I guess maybe mm -hmm. you know, but yes, that, those yeah. were. But I also, you know, had a set of problems. I mean, there, yeah, Microsoft <laughs> yeah. is all in on the cloud, has been in for a decade, and right. this is a product that needs cloud. So it. It sells yeah. into the modern mission very, very well. But I appreciate, the, you know, that your angle is it's the consumer client that, that is. The my angle is it's everything, and that includes the consumer client, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day, Microsoft used to have this message when on-prem server and Windows were a thing, it was better together, right? This notion mm -hmm. that, you know, Windows is great by itself, whatever version we're talking, XP, whatever. But if you put it out there with server, that's uh, even better, you know, and uh, this kind of speaks to that. It's this um, virtuous cycle where it can kind of uh, float all the boats at Microsoft. So uh, the last time Microsoft made what I would call an all out effort on consumers was 20 years ago. You know, uh, this is back in the age of Windows Media mattered and plays for sure and media center and all of that. So there was a huge push to reach consumers. Home, remember home server, too. I mean, that's all in that home same server was absolutely. Yep, of course. Yep. Mm -hmm. And. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And then Zune and, you know, you can kind of follow the downward trajectory on this thing. But um, this is cool to me because it's going to, and, it, and by the way, as, as fun as that stuff might have been at the time, as fun as anything entertainment related is. I mean, honestly, I, I, I care a lot more about productivity. I care about kind of the, I don't know, the grunt work of what a PC is all about. And um, I just feel like this has gotten short 
thrift in recent years that uh, the stuff we've been talking about since windows 11 has come out, for example, is all about little grounded corners and surface level kind of nonsense. What does an icon look like? And, Oh my God, they're scrolling out with the search pill again. And it's like, okay, you know, it's interesting on some level, but this is not what I would call deep computer science, <laughs> you know? And, uh, does the I, consumer I, want that? <laughs> well, yeah, I th- actually, I think they do. And I, I, and I think this speaks to, the thing that got normal people excited about computers in the first place. Like there were always people like us, all three of us who were technical and adopted computers at a very early age because we had this vision of something we could do with these things. You know, I, as a child walking around Sears, our Commodore 64 and imagined creating video games. You know, I had this very specific idea of this thing that I could possibly do with this machine. I was really excited by that. But then I have these friends who I, consider normal people, right? Uh, they're into things like sports and, you know, what, they're just normal people. And I, I, I have very distinct memories of the times when those people came to me and said, I'm going to get a computer, <laughs> you know, where <laughs> something had happened that made computers valuable to them. Right. And, you know, for me, it was in 1980. For them, it was in 1999 or 2005 even or whatever year. And I feel like this is going to enhance those people's lives in the same way that internet access did or whatever those capabilities might be. Meaning you can open up something like PowerPoint or Word or Excel and not be an expert in those things and have it help you create something meaningful and good, which I know a lot of people are super afraid of. And it's right to question all the stuff. But the, the yeah, I think we talked about this, the basic capabilities you get in whatever that PowerPoint, PowerPoint designer or whatever is like, I'm not very good at designing PowerPoints. I have this message. Mm-hmm. I have to deliver a presentation. I don't do this a lot. Like, how do I, how do I make something that people will want to look at? That's interesting. I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not good with words now, or whatever it might and be. If you stuck the chat GPT interface over top of that. So that, that literal verbal expression was the thing, you know, and now yes. it fires up I the right ass and so right. forth. That's right. Like this I is need to sp- what's, I, what I love about this is just in the past, in this past few months, when both Google and Amazon have said, you know, this voice thing's a waste of time. I know. Right? It's, it's cost a, the us a fortune. It's done thing. That's a, yeah. Right. And, and that here's is exactly Microsoft right. saying, you I, know, the rebirth yep. of Cortana. I hope they don't use the name, but what if every Windows exactly. device, I, you yes. know, I am, I'm fascinated that, that you just said that because I literally was working on an editorial about Actually, let me just look it up about voice assistants and how they were hmm. they were going to be the. In fact, it's this is probably not what I probably wouldn't have gone with this, but I'm calling. I called it at the time a diminished voice, and the idea mm-hmm. was that voice assistants, smart assistants, whatever you want to call those things, would be the next platform, the next wave, like Microsoft said. Yeah. And how that didn't happen, and how one of the things that came out of this past year that's causing all these layoffs is Google and Amazon, the two big players in this market, two biggest players basically are cutting a lot of the resources to those parts of the company because those things right. have just siphoned billions of dollars away. Yeah. And it's one of those, they're, they're like uh, Washington Post or New York Times or someone wrote an article about what do people actually use these devices for, they've echoes or whatever. And they use them for like playing a you know certain kind of playlist or they want to play a little stupid game or they, you know, maybe it's an older person. They'd like just to have interactions. They talk about what's the weather, you know, this is, it's not, when Microsoft started adding Cortana to Windows, it was like, guys, what are you doing? No one is going to yeah. sit down. At not, I mean, not literally no one, because there are people who have uh, accessibility needs and so forth around that, of course. But I mean, mm-hmm. m- most people are not are just more efficient, mouse, keyboard, touch, whatever, to get to go from A to B, you know? 
It just didn't. It's like this is. This strikes me more as a discoverability solution. This is tooltips on steroids. Instead of hovering your mouse to try and figure out what to click on, the fact that you can using very conversational interfaces say, "I'm trying to do X," and have that tool say, "Well, here's what I've got to help you do X." I bet everyone listening to the show or watching it has at some point, and I will tell you, I this has happened to me probably a thousand times or more. uh, Set up a Windows computer of some kind. Well, it would be Windows 10 or Windows 11. It, this happens with a Mac too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, uh, it takes a long time. So you leave it and you go do something else in the house. And then all of a sudden you hear something talking somewhere else in the house. <laughs> Hi, it looks like you're trying to set up windows. You can use, it just starts blurring out some, whatever discussion it is about whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I get it. <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to do. Um, this was never going to become the primary way that we interacted with almost anything. No, there are absolutely use case for it. Uh, use cases for it. There are I- very interesting scenarios around driving a car and you want to, you know, say something, whatever. Um, again, people with accessibility, older people, whatever it might be. But as far as it like being the next wave of computing, I think this last year was the comeuppance for that. It's fascinating, and this is what you just said, and this is I, I just I love this because this was in my brain. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely fascinating how this open AI stuff, Dolly, um, Chat GPT, etc just happened right as that happened. Like okay. it was like, Oh, remember we all thought that was a future. That was dumb. And then this other thing happens. You're like, Holy crap, this is amazing. And, I, and this, this is a new, this amazing. is a Newton versus iPhone play, right? This is okay. Yeah. You built this thing. It hasn't done what you wanted it to do. You know, you couldn't find a market to it. Pe- people are frustrated by it. And now here's another incarnation that on the surface of the base description, it's just a voice interface seems the same, <laughs> yep, except yep. that the interaction is so different. I mean, there are AI voice things that are very interesting. Uh, you have a Pixel, mm-hmm. I know, Richard, and I do too. And uh, yeah. you know, Leo has certainly used them if he's not using one full time. But they have these incredible voice interaction things they can do with uh, holding a call or mm-hmm. um, you know, call you know, say hey, the the lines or, or navigating through a, a menu. You normally have to type numbers and stuff like that stuff. Right. That stuff is is that an extension of like a Google assistant kind of feature or is this in fact a, an early version of what is really an AI type of situation, which Google, Amazon, Microsoft are just right there in, in place to make that kind of stuff happen. And then, and I'm just, again, for the record, I hate the AI term because it's always associated with Hal and trying to kill everybody. These are better, (laughs) you know, these are better conversational engines for interfacing with a machine. Right. We have a discovery pro- problem in these systems. They have too many capabilities. You know, you're over, you go look at what you get for M365 for home. What do I do with all this stuff? And the funny thing is, we talked about this earlier, how Bill Gates wanted one app because right. he was trying to address that problem too. Yep. That it's like people don't know where to go. But what if you right. simply started with, what would you like to do? Well, I need to make a presentation for work. Are and you saying, off- Richard? Where would you like to go today? Is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Microsoft Mom. Where do you think you're going today? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a slightly different tone <laughs> on that one. Yeah. I I don't I don't want to be the naysayer, but I'm starting to think maybe may, are we over excited about what Chat GPT can do? And um, um, I don't think so. Um, we've seen we've reason- been through a few AI winters in the past mm, where yeah. we've been over excited about AI going back to the. Uh, yeah, 70s no, I know, I know, I know. No, I feel like it's really come together, and and the, I mm-hmm. think you know, just from the perspective of us, you know, certainly me and Richard and the show and everything, this is an interesting thing for Microsoft because 
They are the second biggest company in the world by market cap. They are just not thought of in the same breath as these other companies mm -hmm. for some reason. Even Facebook or Meta and Google and Amazon and Apple, whatever, even though Microsoft is bigger than all but one of those companies. And um, this is an interesting return to form. I, you know, as Microsoft became less dominant overall, although a much bigger company, right? Um, I, you know, you used to have to kind of rationalize it and say, guys, listen, yeah, we, I, we understand that as a, a percentage of all personal computing, Windows is only 30% or 25% or whatever the number is. It's not 90% mm -hmm. anymore. That sounds bad, but it makes more money now than it ever did. Microsoft is a bigger company than it ever was. And, you know, Microsoft is a more important company than it ever was or whatever. Um, but you know, you, you see in this shift now that my, there's a chance that Microsoft could emerge on the other side of this as a much more overtly powerful company. That if they get this right, we can just start abusing everyone again. I can't wait. I, I'm so excited to finally have the dictatorship back. That's all I'm saying. Can we just start <laughs> you know, abusing you, you, the monopoly your point power about the that 30. we're going to have? That's how much of that 70% that's not Windows work? Like, how much the 30% Windows yeah. work may be the productive work because the other 70% yeah. is doom scrolling and, and you know, social media manipulation, sharing inappropriate information with with advertisers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, now, you know, what I, if the useful I, work in computing was that stuff? And you do it with Windows. I, I assume because all those people who have been defending Apple and Google over the past several years, I want you to understand that when Microsoft institutes a 30% fee on all chat GPT transactions, uh, you got exactly what you were asking for. So <laughs> but is it still sound fair? I, I would also argue like the intent of open AI, this whole idea of, you know, with, this was formed because a lot of this a, these ML models were being developed in secret. So now we're going to have an open thing. Right. Has That's been right. radically changed, you know, and I'm resisting saying it has been perverted. But this is, I mean, this is not what we talked about. Really? You think okay. not? I mean, at least it's happening in the open, isn't it? I think the more not so much, I, this is no. going to be like the app store, right? You have this idea of a platform, whatever it is, in this case, an iPhone or whatever, and people are going to start making apps for you. Like, cool. And yeah, there's going to be fart apps and stupid stuff. But ultimately where this, when this platform succeeds, the way it succeeds is by people coming up with things that you didn't anticipate. The desktop publishing that saved the original Macintosh. Posh, that's you know, what we're afraid of. <laughs> well, no, but that's, but that's, I, I know it is what we're afraid. No, we should, and we definitely should discuss that part of it, but, it's it's that potential. You've already seen what it can do in limited ways. It's going to be fascinating to unleash this on the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to be scaremongering or anything. And yeah, I don't think happens, we, I, mean, I don't think uh, AGI is uh, just around the corner at all. No, not at all. Not even. Uh, yeah. And and I have said a couple of times on our shows that we are at an inflection point. That we might be. This might be the Cambrian explosion of AI and all that. But I also think maybe. Yeah. It's easy to get overhyped on this stuff, and uh, mm -hmm. just like we did with self-driving cars, where we really thought me? that was going to be the next big thing, and it's turned out harder to do than we thought. Well, and and arguably this will be this has already gone through harder to do. Yeah, right. One would argue the trough of disillusionment is shown in the form of the Google device and the Amazon device. Yeah. there's your trough of disillusionment, and coming out of that is this different model. Right, they lost so much money. Well. They didn't lose it. They know where it is. They spent it on things that didn't make them any money. <laughs> they know. I love that. Right. They didn't lose it. They know exactly where it is. 
like, I didn't lose my girlfriend. I know where she is. Yeah. I just know she's not with me. Um, yeah. So I, I, this is, you know, again, to bring it back to the kind of Microsoft terminology, a lot of talk about the next wave. I think this has a much bigger chance of being the next wave for Microsoft specifically. Mm -hmm. um, then has been the case, then was the case for anything that might have, you might have thrown in that bucket, whether it's AR, MR, HoloLens, you know, um, voice assistants, you know, whatever. Um, those things to me were always kind of add-ons to the platforms that we already had. This one, AI will make the existing platforms better. AI is not the platform in many ways, but it will become the basis of so many things and it will enhance the existing platforms we're already using, whether it's phone or PC or whatever. Um, and we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see where it ends up. What, what'll be un unusual if this is true is it means, well, on one hand, Microsoft has, which tends to go second on a lot of stuff, uh, will have succeeded because they, we, you know, they backed off a Cortana and here they are back with a potential voice interface yep. again, but also that they'll have picked right. They got on board with open AI ahead of everyone else. And now they yep. may be holding the linchpin on this. So that's, unusual for microsoft they're remarkably it is, good it is. at building right. a, a, a you know an assembled b team right and it, that they yep. pack it you know that's the m365 model it doesn't you know, have to be number the, one but it's in the box this was always the promise of microsoft research that these guys were going to mm -hmm. come up with the next big thing like it was always you know it was going to come out of that group or whatever um this is uh, you know the story on this will be written someday i mean how this all came about who who was the visionary that saw that this was the future, that kind of thing? Well, I guess we'll mm -hmm. see. I think uh, it was a hedged bet. I think they've got enough money to buy into a lot of things, You and you only remember the wins. You keep forgetting the fails. Also, we live in a world that is overly fixated on baubles, you know, the, the Apple iPhones, the whatevers, you know. And when you look at a company like Apple, who has had success in a certain way, and I mean, has had success, has been the most successful company ever invented doing a certain thing. And you look at the types of things they invest in that we know about, AR, MR headsets, uh, self-driving cars, you know, mm -hmm. they're things because that's where their brain is. Like, that's how they think. That's that's in in many ways kind of a limitation of their success. It's, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? Um, Microsoft, who has seen great success in the cloud, they're not the number one player, you know, by far, of course, we know that. But they've 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 made a successful transition to the cloud. I think Windows is kind of a weird outlier when it comes to the cloud where you know Office was able to transition to the cloud Office uh, Xbox presumably will be able to transition to the cloud Windows it's like eh, it's a little tougher. Uh they didn't sure. really fit in but but you know that's the business whatever. They've been successful at it. It it's so back end. We talked about this. It's plumbing, it's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's not very exciting. Um, At the AI same time, Amazon has a limitation. They don't have endpoint devices. You know, nobody's yeah. excited about a Fire yeah. tablet. So, exactly. you know, they... <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially those people who have used one. Um, <laughs> you know, poor bastards. Uh, yes, for sure. So uh, all these companies are kind of uh, positioning themselves as they will, you know, based on their experience, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting to me that Microsoft, which has made this transition to the cloud, which to me is not very exciting, not very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, is now entering this new era where that that had to be the first step to get them to where they are today. Sure. Without that happening, this AI stuff is happening somewhere else. And it, but and it, I like the exciting. balancing act. Apple has the shiny bobble on the front end, has a heck of a time with the back end. Amazon has the number one back end, no useful front ends. Google right. 
okay. <laughs> I know. know. I mean, Google, I Google Theory is... has ingredients. You know, their cloud's only, uh, they're, 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 and it's, it's Android tiny. devices are off in their own place. Are you judging yeah, but, it by success or actual technology? <laughs> you, you, oh. Or you know, then how do you measure success? Like, what's the market share? Well, yeah, but that's okay. So that's what I'm asking. That's Google's that's reasonable to say success wise. Uh, you know, Google, Amazon's completely dominant. Whether they have the best technology, I don't know. But they're you know, yeah, because best well, is very I, subjective. It's the right. most used technology. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that says yeah, but something. Does the market the market does have some yeah. Yeah, but you don't see you don't see a lot of people complaining about AWS, right? I, I think no. just to be fair, right? Well, I'm not know, saying Corey Quinn. Azure, Corey think, Quinn's been complaining about it every day. I mean, I would okay. defend. I don't look. You guys are experts. I'm not, but I would I would say that Azure probably has equally good technology to AWS. Yeah, yes. nobody's taking this humble nonsense of yours. You are an expert. <laughs> I'm not an expert. <laughs> you are that word technologies. I'll defer to. No, I don't sorry. defer to you, Paul, but no, I do defer to no, Richard. I, <laughs> Uh, listen, I'm, really, I'm, I'm ready to take the third chair in this one. I'm just saying, uh, I, I, the the best product doesn't always win. No, that's but. that's right. I mean, McDonald's yeah. does not have the best beef in America. Uh, right. However, however, they've right. sold billions. So um, okay, but that's so that's why I was asking the question, and that's fine if you say, well, what we're judging it on is is success. That's completely legit. I mean, that may be the only way. Well, we but can I think really the technical capabilities there too. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but I mean, I know that Amazon or AWS is revved continually. They add new services just like Microsoft does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the go to service for most. Yeah, and again, I'm not technical, uh, and we run on AWS, by the way, yeah. but. Um, my my general impression somehow yeah. is that Microsoft is cleaner, uh, mm-hmm. better implemented. AWS was kind of built like top grew like topsy and was built mm-hmm. upon this, upon this, upon this, and this. And then Azure was built a little bit more from scratch. But that's completely you know, okay. my impression. Actually, Richard might, will probably uh, well he'll at least appreciate where I'm coming from. <laughs> I think he will agree, but we will see. Uh, Amazon is one of the or uh, AWS is one of those classic products that was made because the company needed it. And then yeah. they said, hey, we might be able to sell this thing. It's kind yeah. of, in, it's an interesting approach. Microsoft is a platforms company, right? Yeah. It's yeah. very telling to me that they said in this AI thing, or Sachin Adela said when discussing it, we will make this into platforms, not a platform, but platforms, right? And it, Microsoft is still a platforms company. I feel like Azure, which in the beginning was Windows Azure, didn't come out of a, a place where Microsoft said, we need this, maybe other people will use it. It was more like, we're a platforms company. Let's make a platform, and we will license this to other customers who will use it and do whatever they do with it. And I, I does that mean uh, that the resulting products are completely different or whatever? But I don't know. But I, I, I feel like they just came out of different places and that Microsoft's strength, Microsoft's true being or whatever is as a platform company. I mean, in, in PDC company. 2008, when Ray Ozzie announced Windows Azure, Mm-hmm. He presented it as we have all these gigantic platforms, right? That are our internal assets, the MSN site, the Microsoft site, the Xbox site, so forth. They all run on completely separate hardware. And this is dumb. We should be able to consolidate it on <laughs> yeah. common infrastructure. Now, I mean, he said those words. I just don't know that we believed him. Right. Well, because this was know, so alien to what we had at the time. Yeah. And then I, what Abhishek and his crew made at that time, the web role, app role, in a lot of ways, was describing serverless in 2009 yeah. and, 2000, and 2010 sure. when nobody wanted it because 
what 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 was AWL selling? Amazon is a warehousing company. They sold virtual machines, right? They, they at the at the lowest price possible. I wish uh, Ozzy had stuck around at Microsoft a little longer in some ways, but I feel like it's just because. Well, I feel like what he wrote, his kind of papers, you know, his mm-hmm. uh, big thinking uh, subjects mm-hmm. would uh, be very prescient uh, if read today. You know, I think if we went back and looked at them to, like you said, with that one example, I think if we go back and saw, and looked at what he said and wrote at the time, I bet he foresaw yeah. the world that we lived in today. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree, and I think they were trying to build it, and they were well ahead of the market when yeah. when Scott Guthrie took over Azure. I mean, one of the, what was the the first three things they released was virtual machines, app Ser- what now is called app servers, which was basically right. IIS in the cloud, right? I mean, no, and and they, all of the sort of ingredients for devs and IT folks to move workloads. Right, right. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I mean, I. Anyway, I Microsoft. I, I think because of this worldview, Microsoft is in a good place to become the platform maker that others use to create AI-based solutions of whatever stripe, you know. And so, uh, again, I, I do. <laughs> there's absolutely a discussion to be had around the pros and cons and dangers and not dangers of this. But um, oh no, we're on. We have happening. a slippery slope issue, but there's only. Yeah. I only look at two companies as catering effectively to developers. Microsoft, mm-hmm. by far number one, and I'm totally biased. They bought me this house. Ultimately, I built a lot of software <laughs> yeah, on the Microsoft sure. stack. Okay, let's let's sure. okay, let's explain. <laughs> they did not actually buy him the house. They didn't actually buy that. There was no yeah. black bag of cash. No. Many uh, many years ago, somebody told me, you know, if you follow, listen to what Bill Gates says and do some of the things that he's doing. They will put money in your, you know, money will appear in your pocket. Like good things will happen. To you. <laughs> yep. Would you say that's still true, there, Richard? If you were young, just starting out today, would you say follow Microsoft? Yeah, I, absolutely. But uh, I would tackle it from a different perspective. Of you know, look at the technologies that have the largest opportunities. I do those talks, right? I am going into colleges and universe and high schools and things like. What is the opportunity space? And there's a lot what of choice talk, there. What, what do you think? This, this is that's Microsoft as infrastructure, yeah. right? In other yeah. words. People are choosing technology stacks of whatever kinds. You know, we I, the, the the things that I care about, which are so pointless. Like, is there ever going to be a another native Windows, you know, API thing? You know, no, <laughs> that, that world has that. moved on, right? But mm-hmm. but where Microsoft is important is on the back end. You know, it's like the car discussion we had. Microsoft is going to be all over these automated vehicles. You'll never see a Microsoft logo anywhere, but they're going to be on the back end powering all those experiences that you have on these crazy screens that span the whole dashboard and, you know, whatever front end stuff you're doing. Um, it's just like they're on the back end of, or, or can be on the back end of whatever solution you're creating, whatever it might be in whatever forever market. Um, so even though you might be running an iPhone app and you think of it as like these guys wrote this thing probably in Swift and used Xcode and blah, blah, blah. But they're using some back-end services, and mm-hmm. a lot of times that stuff's on Azure. Yeah, and, uh, and, and can be, should be. When, I, when I'm, students always want to make games, I point them at Unity. It's half <laughs> right, of Yeah, games, that's right. right? That's it's smart, like, yeah. And everything's available to them. Um, mm-hmm. If you're talking about getting education, getting successful in technology right now, it's data analytics. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because the shortage is titanic. Yeah. The, the Learn, work only needs yeah. so much information. It's a great area to grow. Learn in like pandas this. and Python yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and do data. Yeah. It's huge opportunities there. Yeah. It, am I crazy? I would tell them uh, follow open source. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. 
Uh, I well, feel, no, it depends on what you're talking about. I, I honestly um, feel like that's uh, in the long run. That's that's the future we're headed yeah, towards. I, I, is non-proprietary. I actually, yeah, I agree with that. But well, you know, and that's essentially I, happened, right? I'm just I'm bringing this. This is very interesting to me. So when you bring up um, Visual Studio Installer. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to install the workloads, right? I kind of look at the bottom of the list, right? I'm looking at things like Maui, .NET desktop development, uh, universal Windows platform development, that kind of stuff. But you know what's at the top is two Microsoft things, ASP.NET and web development, and then Azure development, okay? But the other two are Python development, which you guys just brought up, and Node.js, right, which is the most popular, probably JavaScript runtime, non-web runtime, right? So mm-hmm. those are not Microsoft technologies, but they're still top of mind for people using Microsoft tools sure. to create whatever software or services. They Remember, with the exception of C Sharp, Microsoft does not vend programming languages. They implement tools <laughs> against other what, programming languages. What, uh, yeah. TypeScript? F Sharp? Well, TypeScript's that, not a language. TypeScript's yeah. really just a... TypeScript's yeah, a language. Front end for, okay, it's well, a front it's, end, but... <laughs> The front end for and, uh, JavaScript. Okay. F sharp yeah. would and fall into the list, I would say. It's a, you know, if you ask Don Syme, the guy who led it, it's a .netified version of OCaml. But right. that's uh, fair. You know, that it's, it's a derivative that then had to be commercialized. That's fair. Um, but there's but, plenty of know, deriv- languages that are derivatives of others. I, 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 <laughs> I don't disagree. Uh, but, and Clojure is but, just a front end for Java and JavaScript, well, but, the, but the, I would the, still if call you look it at a, the world, a language. That we, that yeah. The world we live in today, right? All, everything was written in C. In the beginning, yeah, and through today, and uh, and now you have things like you know we're adding Rust everywhere on the back end, right? Very exciting, yeah. And then the front end is mostly JavaScript. It's exciting it? unless you've written Rust, and then you realize it's less exciting. <laughs> I, I, I just looked into Rust over the past week or two, and I I think Rust is pretty cool. I, you know I, who uh, likes Rust? Java programmers because they're uh, already Mark Rusinovich too. Yeah, well, no, and, and Rust say, is great. I, I'm not I'm not I would knocking say people it. Just who are kind of this verbose. is this is the next thing for people who are doing C. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I hate to deprecate C plus plus. Now, I don't. I I deprecated oh, it in I my love life. To do it. Let's. <laughs> I. You know. Um, no, I would never. C++. I've tried and I can't. And I was a C programmer, but um, it, it, there's a lot of production code in C plus plus, and it's still very effective and yeah. efficient. And, and is I it will a terrible? Until it's gone from is the it world. a terrible yeah, language? Is it a bad? No, it's a terrible language. Uh, well, it's also <laughs> evolved, right? It has a sync and a wait and so forth. Like oh, people yeah. don't play with pointers anymore. And that, right. that language is not static, uh, and it's still well, the, the majority of developers of Microsoft are C plus plus developers. It's yeah. based on this 1990s uh, view of OOP, which was the great white hope of the 1990s or whatever, the next mm-hmm. big paradigm, and was kind of shown to be really top heavy and um I think so also. and I think you're in this camp a lot of people judge C++ by earlier uh versions that I mean I, I think modern C++ is probably a lot better than you know version I don't 11 think it's necessary I just Really? All right. Yeah. I mean no, I, I, I look I, I'm not writing it. I'm not but you know I'm Well, and, no, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not an expert but Syntactically, something like Java or C Sharp is better, whatever that means. But those are managed languages, essentially. Like, they require runtimes. They don't target native code, et cetera. But they're designed for um, teams also, right? This is, I mean, that's the other thing. That's more of a tooling problem. It's just, yeah. Well, and the tooling's there for C++ because of its its age, if nothing else. Well, and depending on whose tool stack you use, and this is where, you know, Microsoft's original business and sort of at their Visual essence, Studio, is, is baby. We, we yeah. build great. I feel tools. like yeah. there's got to be way more C in the world than C plus plus. There has to be. 
Well, just for I, legacy reasons. I wouldn't disagree. There might even be more Fortran than C++. It's not just legacy. It's, it's, it's more like... <laughs> Cobol. It's been around like, for a long time. You're writing drivers or kernels or, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like, this is like the deep level... Right. Th- th- that's the language. And it's everybody... Got, and and one of, I mean, really, the people who are running to Rust are people running from C++. Right. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. I, I think that's yeah. the role Rust... Uh, no one's going to... We're not going to replace the body of C work that's out there with Rust, but we are going to start adding to it and... We're adding to it with Rust and not with C, by and large. You know, or if you look at the TIOB polls or the uh, Stack Exchange, uh, Stack Overflow polls, C plus plus is almost always still close to the top. Not, mm-hmm. not maybe number one, but <laughs> well, I, I would also argue how many people normally say I'm in, I'm using C plus plus, and are actually writing in C. There is only one. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, when you're in Visual Studio and you're working right. in the C components, yeah, it, right. you, yeah, you can do point. either. It's C plus plus. Yeah, that's. That, but that's a good point. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, I'm no expert. I, uh, I'm, well, you I'm keep a, saying that. But I'm a big Lisp fan. You, you spend a lot. You spend a lot of time programming. You I do. spend almost all my free time these days programming. So you are but not you for any have purpose. Quite a bit of experience with this. It's so like doing crossword down, puzzles don't, no, for don't, me. Don't play that. You're you're very well versed on this. Uh, yeah, in a kind of a retro that's way. Funny. I'm like that eight bit guy. This is, we're not, we are not a programming podcast. You are, yeah. <laughs> you're right yeah. there. I've really, uh, late of late, have been doing a lot of uh, catching up on algorithms and uh, stuff like that, comp, comp yeah, size stuff, nice. which I never studied. You know, I was a Chinese. It's major. a year of, disp- you do a, like a year of design patterns in various languages. Yeah, no, it's you know, fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually, algorithms I find really it's more yeah. for me. It's just a. It's a game. Yeah, it's a mental. Not, it's right. mental. Oh, this is yeah. this is your version of a crossword yeah. puzzle. I don't. It's, I have no weird. idea what a real programmer in production deals with or any any of that. Yeah. Except yeah. you know, reading anecdotally from people who are moaning and groaning. Uh, yeah, and I wrote a lot of Pascal. Some of Daniel saying mentioning Pascal in the early days with Apple. Mm-hmm. That's that was the language. Uh, yeah, Apple, Apple Pascal. Yep, that yep. was one of my. Wrote a lot of Pascal. I had Apple Pascal and a 2GS in the late yeah. 1980s, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know how we got off on this tangent. It's my favorite <laughs> subject. Maybe it's my fault. I, well, we're talking about AI. I so in apologize. other words, the, the all these people who are today using whatever they're using, JavaScript or C or C++ or Rust or whatever, uh, well, probably not Rust, but um, are, I, I think this is, uh, we had this generation of, you know what it is? It's like uh, I talked about desktop publishing. We used, we started getting these ransom note looking documents, right? Or VB <laughs> yes. happened. Visu- We've Visual discovered Basic fonts, <laughs> right? Before Visual Basic went dot went to dot net, anyone could create a Visual Basic application, and God did it show uh, that kind of thing. And so there's going to be, you know, the the there's app still, store. Well, all of that VBA living behind Excel spreadsheets oh, is yeah. still out there, yeah. it's it's still haunting you. Away. Yep, never yeah. going away. No, in fact, to this day. I don't know what the version number is on VB right now, but it's got to be 19-something. It's it's up there. It's like people thought VB start, stopped at version 6. Oh, no, no, no. You know, VB script happened. VBA kept going. And then VB.net happened. And it's this thing has been revved. It's still around. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, after VB, I would say the next big thing like that was the App Store, right? And uh, the App Store is fascinating because unlike desktop publishing and VB, those tools are hard, right? And that shows you how impressive that thing was as a platform that despite the difficulty, so many people jumped on board that. And there are so mm-hmm. many mom and pop apps in the app store now, um, just made by individuals who learned online or bought a book or went to a, a boot camp or whatever it is. 
So yeah. I, I feel like AI has the possibility, the strong possibility of being the next of those things, right? That it's transformative because it's not just going to be professional developers or whatever that tackle this. It's so exciting. It's going to attract normal. Well, and even today with ChatGPT in its current form, which is a temporary form, you can take a chunk of VBA code, paste it in and say, what does this do? It's amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. amazing. Now, I'm not saying it's right. It does right, take a guess. Right, right. Turn this into something that doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. like, you That's know, a tough spit button. Spit up C-sharp version of it or whatever. Yeah, I, I mentioned yeah. Steve Gibson asked uh, people to write a, a tool to look at their last pass faults to understand how much of your stuff was done ABC or CBC and what your uh, iterations, your PBKDF2 iterations were and stuff. And the one that he ended up picking was written in PowerShell by ChatGPT. Nice. nice. Guy Which really means it was written by somebody else in ChatGPT. Yeah, somebody, it's, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and it used forms to do the uh, GUI and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. it did a it did enough of a good job that it got a, a framework to start with, and then of course it had to be polished. But you I know, think that's really interesting. Richard probably knows a lot more about this stuff. I was looking into a way to um, I use a specific set of commands to do some Git stuff, you know, in the command line. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know. Obviously, I could write a script to automate this in one whack, and I did that. And I was like, oh, you know, this is sort of convenient. But it'd be kind of cool if I could just write like a simple little application and click a button and have a go. And I was like, I looked into that. And, I, and you can do that. But actually, mm-hmm. there's a world of services online that do that for you. And they, it's like an online form creator. You tell it what you want to do. You kind of go through it. And it spits out what is basically a little EXE, which is just a front end to PowerShell. And... Th- that stuff is like the 1.0 version of what we're talking, you know, of this uh, yeah. chat or a co-pilot or well, chat GGP or whatever. And um, you're, you're back to what this front end really is, is a finder for all of those tools, right? The, yeah. Arguably the yeah. talent you end up with when you work in right. GitHub space is the ability to search for libraries, to see, use yeah. the right phrases, to find what's already co- been written. I would grant you co-pilot is that. I mean, you even see copyright yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But chat GPT well, is a little more generative, it feels like. It's not yeah, exactly this is, this, copying. It's it's so important because, and again, I, I, it, there's a weird history at Microsoft where it's a it's a developer organization. They make platforms. You know, They got into the enterprise uh, through first small businesses and work, uh, what do they call it? work groups and you know, got up to the enterprise. Well, now they approach a lot of administrative stuff as if they were programming tools. I mean, PowerShell itself is like a, it's a .NET programming language and runtime, essentially, for administrators. And it's, you know, I, I would have made the argument 20 years ago, like, I don't know that there's a lot of crossover between these two audiences, you know. And I feel like there's always going to be that programming uh, angle, which is a co-pilot for programmers. And then there's going to be this other thing where it's just normal people, say administrators who aren't necessarily good at programming, but they know they need something to automate something. They're not going to write the PowerShell right. themselves, but they can speak it or type it and have something generate it and they can make sure it works. And I, I that is very exciting. I, I think I think bringing that power to people who wouldn't be able to code it who are not programmers, right? Not just not capable of coding it, but just not are never going to be programmers mm-hmm. is part of the reason this is so exciting. Well, and now this is where the architecture of Microsoft as a company comes into play because as that interface gets put on top yeah. of Windows, every product team will need to implement it or nobody will use their product because it becomes the discoverability interface. 
This is right. the and dot netification of Windows, but it's the dot AIification of Windows, right? Or of every, I shouldn't say of Windows, of Microsoft. In other words, mm-hmm. the plan for dot net was that it was going to infuse everything Microsoft did. That didn't work out. But I feel like AI has the chance to be that thing. The If your product or service at Microsoft isn't somehow wrapped around or infused by AI, you're you're going to have a problem. And if you're in that ge- if you're not in that generative interface, you're not going to be one of the choices. The problem is it'll yep. be too many choices, right? You're going to say, yeah. "Hey, I need to do oh, yeah. X." It is well, well. Here's a Python implementation, and here's right. a PowerShell. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be Power Automate. It's going to be in Visual Studio. It's going to be in Office. Would you like me to write that as a VBA script inside of Excel for you? Like it, <sighs> yeah. it can do all oh, of those yeah. things. Doesn't make it yep. good, just that it can. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we're going to be dealing with that. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. So we'll see how it kind of ekes out over time. Um, I mean, he, they can, well, they kind of said, I mean, well, they already announced the open AI stuff and, and uh, yeah. chat GPT is an API. They're story. on the path. I mean, yeah. did they ever confirm the 10 billion? Yet. That was just the rumor, right? No, they did not confirm okay. that. They said 1 billion. No, that was the original in- investment. Yeah. They so were in Supposedly, yeah. there's been another 2 billion that's been quiet that no one really, they've not confirmed that. And supposedly, they've gone and said, we want 10 billion. Oh, and we want to own 49% of the company when we're done. And they have not confirmed that either. So yeah, okay. th- those are rumors. Um, it's not like rumors from Bob up the street. There, I, 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 I want to say this came out of Bloomberg or something. It was, yeah, it was I think either, you're right. pretty. Pretty accurate, you know, publications. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, but, no, it's but, clear Microsoft is all in on this. Do you think yep. this violates, though, the original conception of open development? Uh, Richard, is that what you were kind of saying? Well, I, I mean, OpenAI was supposed to be open for everything. And then when right. GPT-3 came along and it's like, hey, this can be used for quite nefarious purposes. So we're not going to publish the code on it. We, right. we are going to provide an API to it so that we can effectively gatekeep what you do with it. And everybody seemed on board with that because it had, because what they were saying was true. Once you have something with that good of a natural language interface, you can do some very horrible things. Uh, and you're still seeing that model followed. But the fact that the money matters and they're now talking about maybe a public offering and, uh, right. and valuations and so forth, we're in an interesting place. Like, what is this thing exactly? But I think Microsoft and all of us are yeah. perceiving it as a competitive advantage for Microsoft. And that makes it straight up capitalistic. This is, there's no altruism yeah. here, folks. It also, well, this is something that's come up a lot on this show too, is this notion of Microsoft as a steward of some technology. Like we talked about like mm-hmm. Minecraft or whatever, or GitHub uh, is a good example. Um, if you look at big tech today and you say, well, which of these companies would you trust with this? You know, yes. I'm not saying any of them are completely trustworthy, but I, I mean, no. honestly, um, not just because of the type of company they are, um, but just the, well, the type of company, I guess they are. Yes, actually it is because of the type of company they're, they're, I don't mean like they're, they're a platforms company. As we said, that's one way that they are a type of company, but they're also, I think a more, again, it's not, it, does, it, it breaks down so quickly, but they're, they're a more ethical company than their competitors and i know the bar is super low i mean i don't don't misinterpret well, what i just said the, to mean when the ethical, when the leak but. about github being acquired happened like it was on the friday the announcement was supposed to be on monday they, yeah. then as i remember if i remember correctly it was the choices were it's going to be acquired it's going to be mm-hmm. microsoft or it's going to be google or it's going to be tencent which one do you Jeez. want right. well, like, tencent didn't get it that would be the yeah. end of it so that's like well, a, that, the devil yeah yeah. yeah, and by the end of the weekend, everybody's kind of like, eh, not a bad place for it to be. 
No, it's better Microsoft. It but, turned but, out to be the, even better than I was guessing. Right, the follow to that is actually Microsoft was the best steward for GitHub. Like this has worked out incredibly well, mm-hmm. and I think that's the way we need to approach this as well. I mean, again, it's none of this is necessarily ideal. Um, but if and, we have, and part if of this is Microsoft one, we we went through the "you have been declared a pernicious monopoly" like. And and yeah. negotiated yeah, yeah. their way to a consent yeah. decree, you know, and spent yeah. ten years in that purgatory dealing with it, and I, right. that ended in twenty eleven. Like, and I don't get the feeling later. that Nadella is paying lip service to this. I no 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 no. I, I don't think was he a was cancer under his predecessor. That was his predecessor. Open source is yeah. embraced. Today. Yeah, it's yeah. a different. It's a different company. Yeah, and and I think Bomber realized that was the right direction to go in, and that he was an impediment to going there, and so That's getting right. out of the way was the right thing to That's do. Right. I'm glad you said that because people don't give him credit for a lot of the things. I, I would no, say a lot no of the way, things that happened under. If you know, Satya Nadella's big rollout was build of 2014, and he had, and that's .NET is being open sourced, and all of these great things. It's like he didn't get all that done. It's not like month. he invented that. Yeah, exactly, no. <laughs> exactly. I, Office on the I- iPhone was not something he invented, but it's no. it's the you know only Richard Nixon could have gone to <laughs> China, gone to China. Yeah, um, it's kind of like that. I guess <laughs> kind of very. No, that's a good direction. That's a really apt way to put it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the direction was apparent and they committed to it, including changing leadership to commit to it. Because I think otherwise it wouldn't have been taken seriously, right? It's no, I I think it it was a good play. Yeah, I do too. And and here we are. It's absolutely the case. And of course, you're close observers. So this is just from the outside looking in that Mm -hmm. Microsoft is a different company. Than it was yeah. under Balmer. And, and I yeah. think a, a much kinder, you don't think of embracing yeah. golf anymore. You don't. No. You, you, I think of, um, I always compare them to Germany. You know, World War II happened. That was terrible. It's a different place now. And uh, it's not fair to hold that country to what happened in the 1930s and 1940s in the same way that it's not fair to hold the Microsoft of today to what they did in the 1990s. Because it's not the same company. It just is not. Yeah. It has the same name. You know, I get that. Uh, a lot of the same products, I get that too. Uh, it's a completely different company. I would also say the company this is it's two hundred twenty thousand people. It, well, two hundred ten thousand people. <laughs> two hundred eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's not uniform. There are big chunks of the company that are the kinder, gentler deck giant that's pro open source and and at all yeah. those things, and there are pieces that are not. Uh, or that are struggling to live in the, the in the current conditions. Not everybody got the memo, and some of them burnt it. So you know they're they're still trying to figure yeah. out. That's true, uh, Germany too, by be. the way. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but yes. But are there any but, big you know, leaders still around from the Balmer days? Are there any hangovers? Actually, the the biggest. Well, yes. Brad, I mean, you know, Brad Scott Smith. Guthrie is still around. Amy uh, yeah, Hood. I mean, yeah, Amy uh, Hood. Brad Smith is maybe the best example, the longest. Yeah. And he, but he was the one who was hired literally to solve their antitrust problems and did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very interesting. And, I, and arguably, I, that's Bomber got CEO as that the you know mm-hmm. as the pernicious monopoly had been declared. Right, his first job right. was to consent that, get that consent decree. And yeah, Bill Gates was like, "I'm out. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm yep. going to Africa for three up. months. See ya." Yep. I sat in you a chair for 18 hours. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but again, they, that change was because it was, he was the leader when this thing has happened. He's not the best yeah. person to clean it up. So he steps aside 
and lets his. I mean, from a from a product perspective, like high level leadership, I would say it is telling that a lot of the guys who are left from previous regimes, so to speak. Uh, we're kind of at the cloud level or came out of server, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, Panos Panay is interesting to me because he's the single last leftover from Sanofsky era. Mm-hmm. Um, he was busy making mice and keyboards until he convinced Sanofsky who convinced Balmer to make computers. And uh, he runs uh, Windows now, right, as well as Surface. So, it's fascinating to me that that guy is on the senior leadership team, but um, I mean, uh, I'm just trying to think about, I mean, honestly, a lot of Microsoft senior leadership is newish, I guess I would say mm-hmm. newer. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Speaking of windows, I can tell when we've <laughs> we- exhausted a subject and I think <sighs> we've done that. Windows 11. You'll never run out of Windows 11 news. Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Jeez, uh, oh, I got the wrong damn. Your, his head's right, going so up my- and down on this thing. I love it. <laughs> Do that some more. That's really good. So on the notion, it shows where Paul's uh, cursor is, I guess. Yeah. And uh, right. oh, there's and Richard. What happens? <laughs> Yeah, because I clicked on it. It's the wrong link because that was a mistake. Follow so, the bouncing ball. <laughs> yeah, so since last the last show, there have been two builds released to the Windows Insider program. Last week, late last week, probably Thursday, uh, they released a new build to the dev channel. And this brings some changes to Task Manager specifically for developers, right? This ability to do like a live kernel dump uh from the from task manager which is kind of a fascinating complicated or uh, high end i don't know what do you call it low end low <laughs> what am i looking for here like a this is a developer oriented feature it's kind of it's not something normal people will ever need and then some nonsense around the accounts page with quota and OneDrive. who cares so nothing nothing super super exciting um today or yesterday they released a new build to the release preview channel. We don't actually see a lot of release preview builds these days because mm-hmm. we're not on the cusp of another release, <laughs> you know? So, well, although that stuff has gotten kind of, you know, weird. The interesting thing here, and this is actually something that will benefit all people is let's say you, um, and I do this all the time, uh, you bring up a new computer or you reset an existing computer and you're on windows 11, uh, 22 H2. So, what you have to do is go to windows update and you install a bunch of updates and that will install, that will include the latest cumulative update for uh, just for the system itself, which is a, um, you know, well, like I said, it's a cumulative update. So it includes everything between then and 22 H2. Uh, there's going to be a .NET update. There's going to be a bunch of other updates and they're, they're actually going to roll these things into a single update so that you can get it all at one time, reboot once and then be completely up to date. So it like, no matter when you install windows or bring up a new computer, you will have one set of updates to do and that's it. And that's, I mean, yeah, there you go. That's great. <laughs> like that's actually really, that's, that's good. That's the way it should that's always good. be. So, yeah, yeah. I think this was kind of the vision, you know, for windows 10, but certainly for windows 11. And I think this change will make it a reality. So that's good. Yeah. And it's interesting to see them pushing against features that we wish we had in 10. Like this yep. is how we ultimately get everyone over to 11. It's like, Oh, I, that's right. It's not the new interface. It's going to get me to move. It's the, yeah, this it's longer list updating. of features. 
Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, moving from seven to eight, moving from eight to 10, and now moving from mm-hmm. 10 to 11, that's been the case for a while. Like the, yeah. they've significantly improved that process at every step. Um, let us not for, forget the Baton Deathmatch March that was <laughs> installing updates on a Windows uh, 7 SP1 system. If you started that thing now, you'd still be doing it when we recorded next week's show. Well, it's just, now, it didn't Mr. Horrible. Sinofsky ban an SP2? That was the whole thing? Was you, you didn't get an SP2? Now it's just an yes. endless stream of hotfixes. Well, but they did do, I don't remember what they called it, but they did do a, uh, they had to do something that was SP2. It was the, mm-hmm. like a, I think they just called it a cumulative update because yeah. the problem in um, Windows 7 was those updates were all granular. They were, there were no cumulative updates. So, you had to install, every, you got this list, it was 167 things, whatever, you'd check them all off. Most of them would install, you'd reboot, you'd get more, you get, oh, you come back, oh, there's more again, and then, you know, it was just, it just never ended. It was horrible. Yeah, and, um, and you, I think it was, you just stop keeping track of it, but it's just like, just keep, turn just, on just auto reboot. Going, just go until yeah. it's done. And go until it stops, until please. None. Yeah, exactly. And then you retire because you're done. Um, <laughs> it just took a long time. So I think Windows 8 probably was the first big step to solving that problem. Um and then, you know, obviously got better again in 10 and 11. Um, the other thing is last week we talked about PC sales. And at the time we only had data from uh, IDC. Now we have Gartner as well. And uh, every year for uh, 10 years plus, I don't remember, I, I write a report um, where I combine the, the data and I look at it. I make my own chart and everything, you know, like an analyst. And um, the PC market is in a horrific state of free fall right now. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and the problem is year over year, it doesn't sound too bad. You're like PC sales in 2022 fell 16%. And you're like, Oh, come on. That's, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be way worse than that. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So if you actually break it down by quarter, uh, it was 6% in the first quarter, not minus, I should say minus 6%, minus 14% in the second quarter, minus 17% in the third quarter. And then the holiday quarter minus 28.3%. Normally so should done. be the best quarter. Exactly. So yeah. this is, it's not over. The, the point of that is it's, we've not concluded. Now, so are you pro- proposing that first quarter of 2023 is going to be bigger than minus 28? Yeah. Because that seems I, unlikely. I, I, well, you got to understand it's kind of a, it's a weak comparable. So, mm-hmm. it, uh, well, I guess we'll see. So I, I would say. Because I would also not argue is, that 2021 was the anomaly. Right. Like this is all pandemic effects. And if you go pre-pandemic, we're still above pre-pandemic. No, that's by the way, that is true. That's absolutely true. And and the thing you want to look at is um, like what is or you want to think about is what is this curve going to look like? Are we going to go back to pre-pandemic? Is it going to actually get worse than that? You know, we don't know that. We don't know. So, yeah, we're really going to go below 250 million units. I mean, that seems to be the magic number when they off the peak of 2010, 2011. Yeah. You sort of flattened out at around 250, and it stayed like that for a while. 2021, it was like a magical return to four. It was 344 million computers yeah. were sold that and, year. Like, that's but it's, al- it's also, it just, you know, it's a delusion, right? Like it is a delusion, I, but you have to go back to 2012 to find a year where PC sales were that strong. Oh, right? sure. But all the more um, reason to recognize that's the outlier. Not getting yeah. back down under 300. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I mean, there's no way to predict, right? There's no way to predict. But I, I, to, um, if, to me, it felt like in the 20 teens, we were at 250 because that was replacement rate. Yep. So like, that, like, in other words, that's the natural uh, floor yeah. or the natural, yeah. you know, plus or minus some percentage 
it's going to be, that's where it, you have that, minor amounts of growth. Of you have an actual turnover rate. That's, that's, yep. you know, four year, five year okay. machine turns. That's where you level off. Yeah. So when you have rapid growth, like we had in 2021, you're, uh, that is known to be temporary and will be reversed. It follows that you will probably have rapid decline for briefly yeah. as well. And, and maybe that's what we're experiencing. Yeah. So anyway, that's where, that's where that's it. So that's the, yeah, whatever. That's where the PC market is. I'm I'm going to be very interested to see how things go um, this year. You know, every quarter. And Microsoft, by the way, is releasing their earnings next week. I think on Tuesday, uh, which is why they announced the layoffs this week. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Dina Bass and a, and a write down on hardware and like they shuffle all the bad news yep. out yep. because it's all and it's all that is right. The uh, also I should say that the 1.2 was it, is that the right number the 1.2 billion I think it was. Mm-hmm. in associated costs with this um with the layoffs and the write downs is going to be applied to the, the quarter that they're reporting next week right? right the the fourth calendar quarter the second fiscal quarter for microsoft um we'll see <laughs> we'll see what that looks like right i mean they're going to take a they're going to take a hit so that's going to be kind of interesting but you um yeah, you mean you're still talking about you know it's a 1.2. Okay, it's a few percentage points, but it's single digits. The company makes 20 billion a quarter right? <laughs> net. I think Dina Bass said revenues were going to be down something like 6%, which is also single digits, not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the worst since, I don't know what that was, maybe 2017. As a, uh, a drop-off, not the worst number, but the worst uh, yeah. decline. It's uh, like, oh, no, we are not immune to economic realities either. Right. Right. It, while go. sitting on our giant stacks of money from running <laughs> a big chunk of civilization. Of yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we give you 6%. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And actually, I, I would, you know, my, Microsoft and other companies too, Apple, whoever, um, as they announce their earnings, what you were going to look for too is um, talk about the future. Like one of the things that stopped last year was companies stopped predicting what the future quarters were going to look like because it was mm-hmm. too volatile, you know? Sure. Um, and if, and if they, they're good this year. This year they can say, we don't know. That's, that's going to be interesting. Year. So if Microsoft kind of comes in, even if it's down a little bit, if they say, look, we expect this is what it's going to look like, that's mm-hmm. actually a big improvement from last year, right? So Sure. Uh, a pandemic but, was the ultimate excuse. But yeah. in theory, they should be able to estimate economic downturns. You know, yep. even though inflation numbers seem to be coming down and so forth, like, yeah, I, I I, like I'm glad I don't like, have that job. A plague is like the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody, nobody expects, well, it. expects it. As long well, as you no, know Monty Python jokes. Given the euphoria <laughs> of the pandemic, which is a weird thing to say, uh, for these companies, someone, someone in the CFO type area should mm-hmm. have been saying, hey, guys, um, you know, there's going to be a backside to this, right? I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like these companies should have been able to predict to some degree. Maybe not. Well, many, maybe they did. How? how do you know they didn't? I mean, mm. I, yeah, I don't. Okay. Well, certainly if they there was. If they thought the, it and didn't say it, then they didn't. Well, who would <laughs> you they? Know, they so, you mean they'd, well, should, you know, they should have told you? Yeah, they should have told. Yeah, I certainly well, had yeah, conversations. As a publicly owned company, yeah, I think that oh, would yeah. be something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's actually know. a good question. Yeah, I don't they, mean they'd they have to tell me. I just <laughs> I feel like internally like, they were putting lots of pressure on their staff, right? Like, yeah, right. this past right. fiscal at Microsoft, their budgets have been very odd by anyone I've ever talked to. Like, clearly okay. they've been yeah. tight with the purse strings internally. Yeah. Okay. Even if they weren't talking about it in a quarterly report. They knew. I mean, not saying something that you know, it could be a material No, it's material. No, no, that's exactly. I'm with you. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it also was sort of bundled up in the whole pandemic thing, too, of we're not right. we're, we're being careful about how we work with our people. We don't want you know, to put I, them in I, danger. I, I don't know how I don't know how the finances work at companies. I don't know how my finances work. So why would I know? But the, <laughs> but it seems like no, but I, it, it does seem to me that maybe one of the prudent things that companies like Microsoft or Google or Apple or Amazon could have done is said, hey, um, this has been an unprecedented year. We're going to mm-hmm. defer some revenues here. We're going to we're going to even this out. <laughs> you know, we're just going to do the right thing because we know that when there's an upside like this, there's going to be a downside. Like no one no one ever talked like that. I don't even know if by the way what I just described is possible or legal. I'm yeah, just saying, or it, illegal, yeah. Yeah, I, I really don't know. But it, it's interesting to me that you just ride the waves, you know? You it goes mm-hmm. up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And um, and you be sort of forthright on the whole, yeah, we're we're it's an unusual time and we're not sure. And that's Yeah. You right, know. right. Or I, I and if there were some way to just kind of stretch this out, it's so I don't I, I feel like that would have been greeted with uh well who knows, maybe not. I pay attention sure. to um <clears throat> Apple's uh, statements in their quarterly reports and they very yeah. much said headwinds, headwinds, you know, we're gonna oh yeah. this is you know, they were very, they warned people like crazy. Uh, um, so I don't Pessim, pessimism pays off. It seems right. Well, and you do have an obligation. A, I mean, I know these yeah. companies have I mean, kind of they go to the right to Paul. the edge. Yeah. I was going to say pessimist. some people would yeah. use that term to describe my career. You know? <laughs> um, the best thing about pessimism is you're usually right and occasionally pleasantly surprised. You're very rarely disappointed. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah. true. It's um, the Dvorak principle, and I completely yeah. agree with it. I mean, in the sense that I want to make myself sound better, I would call it realism. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, you know. <laughs> pessimists always think they're realistic. Yeah, you're. Yeah. You know the old joke. You know the the pessimist thinks the glass is empty, the optimist thinks the glass is uh, is half is half full, and the engineer mm-hmm. says the glass was just poorly designed. Yes. Well, yeah, and, I, the sur- I and the surrealist says a fish. You know, <laughs> oh, I, I, literally I like had it. This, so uh, Leo's heard this many times. I, I'm sorry for boring you with this, but Richard perhaps has not. One time my wife said to me, you know, you're, you really, your glass is really half empty, isn't it? And I said, half empty. I said, there's a crack in the bottom of the glass that I just saw. And I'm, I'm waiting for the internal up. bleeding to start. What are you talking, half, half empty. I wish it was half empty. You know? Uh. All right, let's talk about this uh, 6 gigahertz CPU. Because yeah. Intel, I really yeah. thought Intel hit a wall with yeah, five. Around four? Yeah, yeah, four, really, technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got to f- close to five. Wasn't the Itanium going to be yeah, faster? Sure. And that and it was so hot that they, they really... So How long ago was it, remember, when Apple wanted the mo- well, PowerPC to hit one gigahertz? Yeah. And it couldn't. Right. And that's what, trans- that's what caused them to switch to go. Intel. We live in an era, though, of performance per watt, don't we? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it is fascinating that the value that Intel can still add is to just throttle this thing and make it go. What's crazy. the TPU so, on uh, on a six gigahertz? Right. I think it's a hundred and fifty. It's like I think you could heat the house. Don't have is what you're saying. It's, it's yeah. I, when you, you first of all, you need the same plug uh, that you use for your dryer or two hundred forty one. When you when, when you boot up your computer, it's like that scene in uh, Christmas Vacation where all the lights in the town yeah. go on down and then the yeah. nuclear power comes up. Um, I remember yeah, Tom's hardware demonstrated getting a processor to five gigahertz by cooling it with liquid nitrogen. Yeah, remember it's those like, days, yeah. two thousand three yeah. or two thousand four with yep. the P fours. Yeah. Like, right. yeah. So this thing is twenty four cores, eight performance, yep. sixteen efficiency. 
Wow. So this is the 13th gen desktop class chip. So they announced the original. Oh, the TDP is uh, the TDP is 150 watts. It is 150. That's yeah, a base. That's the base TDP. Yeah. This is a core. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, core. Yeah. Uh, core. Core i9. Right. Like you said, 24 cores. Um, yeah, six gigahertz without overclocking. And it can be overclocked, by the way. Um, wow. I think it must be a K. Yeah, KS series. Uh, it is. Okay. So. That means it's it's overclockable. Yep. Yep. Man. There you go. Crazy. Yeah. Unlocked. In 12, in 12 unlocked. core unlocked. This is a 13th like gen. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, obviously they're doing that. You know, clearly they're doing that because in response to what Apple and, uh, and ARM and Qualcomm right. are doing. Right. It's like, That's right. okay, well, throw some power at it. We can beat the pants off of you. Yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> like an M whatever, an M2 Ultra, just from a die size, right? Has got to be like comparing a Volkswagen Bug to a yeah, they're very different Cadillac beasts. from the nineteen. But also right? unified memory. There's a whole. Yeah. It's a yeah. big system. Yeah, it's on a whole. A chip. It's a whole yep. different animal. Yep. Yep. Well, the point being, I wasn't being held up by my CPU in the first place. Yeah. So there, right? Like, right. That's not I, the CPU for the most part. Smokes cigarettes and plays poker, <laughs> waiting for memory right. and network to catch up. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, but they can do it, and that's good. Did, did they say what the process is? Is it an is it 11 nanometer process? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. No, it's got to – well, it could be 11, actually. I, I mean, what's – how small could it be? At seven at the, the – I don't think Intel's desktop? doing anything less than 10, are they? Yeah, I was going to say it's it's desktop class, so it's going to be bigger. Um, well, have to be desktop. You'd have five minutes of battery life on a laptop. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to plug this into the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, there's bragging rights there. Six gigahertz. Wow. You know? I know. It's crazy. And, well, it's Raptor Lake. So that is yeah. um, that is 10. Raptor Lake is 10. 10, 10, 10. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So this will be the only system that's capable of uh, displaying a Windows 11 context menu in real time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, he's, and once he's again, spent hours Windows, on that one. Windows, <laughs> is ahead of, Windows is ahead of the hardware. I'm just saying, you know, so, I mean, some days. Look how responsive my search pill is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you right click and you're like one, two, there two. it is. It's, <laughs> you know, the, you the know. list price is six ninety nine, which seems to me not that expensive. I was going to say it's, that's not that bad for what it no. is, right? Could, yeah, because you could easily spend $1,000 on a scene. I think this on. is, right. yeah, this is, right, this is kind of a... Workstation class thing, I would think. I know yeah. it's not a Xenon, but it, it seems like this is a Xenon. I'm yeah, Xenon. Xenon. Yeah. Xenon. Xenon. Xenon would be a noble uh, glass. Xenon was also the code name for the first Xbox, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's um, right. Project Xenon. Yeah. Yeah, Xenon. Sorry. Um, this yeah, is cool. I, I, I think this is literally about bragging rights. I, it I, is. Mm, it is. That's all it is. Yeah. It is. And Apple, you know, it, it's going to be easier because Apple... Uh, Gained so much going to the M1, but they're not now. It's going to be very much incremental. We've already seen it. Which with the we M2. saw, by the way. So yeah. I, one of my annoyances with this uh, Apple uh, video it wasn't really an event, I guess. Was they compared the speed of every one of the chips they announced to its predecessor? Oh, and also to the last generation Intel that we used, which, by the way, was like three right. or four years ago. Right. Some yeah, right. like, like it's like yeah. Of course, there's it's double. There's a reason for that though. The, they were still selling Intel yeah, Mac yeah. Minis. They no, were I still know. selling Intel iMacs. Well, but they so had, mm -hmm. 
they were, but they also had M1 versions. <clears throat> yeah, but they, I mean, but this was, this stuff is, they're no longer selling that stuff. So I think, okay, that I think good. the idea is, well, you know, this is why yeah, we're not I, sell I guess. But if you look until. at, but to your point, when you look at the performance advantage of each of those chips over its direct predecessor, it was low, maybe low double digit. Yeah, it's like 20, 12%. maybe not even. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, so yeah, we're starting to see that kind of curve even out. Um, which makes sense. This thing's you know, and to Richard's point, doesn't matter because most of the time I've not I haven't felt like any laptop I've ever I've used in the last five years has been slow. Yep. Exactly. CPU right. bounce. Well, except yeah. when you yeah. right click on the desktop. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean for the most part, you almost always know it's software though when it's when that things like that happen. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, you can you can you can feel when UI reverent. You can yeah. actually hear it. It's like a little what, what, a wind sound. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes, and like, it comes up. You're like, oh, look at Volkswagen beautiful bug engine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. Strains right. for 72 miles exactly. an hour. We're not going up a hill, are we? What's going on? Here? Yeah, yeah. AMD's doing some cool stuff too. Yeah, let's give them credit, and they're doing some very low power uh, chips, high That's high battery right. life chips. So yeah. uh, this is good. The competition is all good. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can, in the area they can compete in, which is large sure. numbers. That's the thing. That, that actually is kind of my point. Like this is this is where Intel can innovate right now. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like with the eighth gen. Remember, they went from dual core to quad core on the uh, on the U series. So it was like this is where we can provide, you know, value mm-hmm. added. It, it, we don't have that super efficient power per watt thing that Apple's talking about. It's going to be a while. We're working on that. Uh, but we can do this. Oh, you want you, you want like a twelve cylinder engine? Oh, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> you know, that's the, their big block. You know, that's that's kind of where they're at still. So they'll get there, or they'll disappear. You know, either way, we'll 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 survive. We live in, uh, I think, great times for computer users. I do too. Yeah. Computers have mm-hmm. never been better. I will for all yeah. the nonsense we can complain about PCs and whatever. I review a lot of computers. Computers today are terrific. Mm-hmm. They really are. They really are. They're just terrific. Yeah. I have parts on order for two new scratch built machines. One for the wife who's doing a lot of 3D rendering stuff and one for me. Nice. So I I will report over the next but few tell years. You, tell yeah. us what you decided to buy. Yeah. I'm very interested. Uh, 970 motherboard, 13900 processors, but not i9s. It's just no excuse, right? No. i7s. Yeah. 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 Even, so, even i7s. Are a lot, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm, but I'm very much uh, figure out where the peak is. Take a couple of steps back. There you, you go. Paid a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Big premium for yeah, that. Yeah, because that's where the curve suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're going to have cooling problems and you know, right. and da 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 Are you just air cooled? You're not doing a liquid. Uh no. Yeah. Uh, well, realizing that most what you think are air coolers, those heat pipes have liquid yeah, yeah. in them. They right. are using right. phase change to cool. Right. I did water cooling back in the day when it was a stupid thing to do. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but it was quiet, right? Like that. That's the advantage. Was, you don't have those big fans. Yeah, right. we did liquid cool. Exactly. Mark and I built a gaming PC several years ago. We did liquid cooling. I have, yeah, a, I, I have, uh, my gaming machine is a, uh, uh, Alienware Aurora. With liquid cooling, and it still sounds like a jet taking off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you still have well, fans on the radio when it first right. turns on. Right, the, yeah. the initial power on. Yeah, is like a it's, light dim moment. But you know what? Yeah, for sure, it doesn't matter. I just turn the game up. I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. I, I, I got fine. big external radiators so that I could stay passively and, and, and big fans yeah. too. Right, if you so, get the big. Yeah, yeah. I didn't need fans because they were they were large enough that they radiated. Wow, nice. 
When it I was first, quiet. Uh, when we first started the show a million years ago, I was working on finalizing what it wasn't a million. Was, it was a, it was an hour and a half ago. Come on, <laughs> seventeen years ago. Oh, beginning of that. I was, I, yes, I was finalizing the book that became Windows Vista Secrets, and I was yep. r- co-writing this with uh, Brian Livingston, who was a curious guy. But he he used to have his computers were behind a wall. And he had those cutouts in the wall that you would have for like home <laughs> theater equipment. And he would mm-hmm. string the wires for his keyboard and mice and stuff through that because he didn't want to listen to the how loud yeah. the computers were. We have <laughs> a, server, a server Carl rack, secondhand server yeah. rack a friend gave me. Like a, yeah, it was like an alcove. That's, uh, you know, just that's got computers. soundproofing in it. So you, you, yeah. Can, yeah. you can put the thing in the server rack, have it in your sound studio. Sure. I was really tempted on that Twitter auction, just to bring it back to my favorite subject. Mm. They were selling booths for yeah. for phone calls, Bo- uh, soundproof oh. booths, and they had a soundproof conference room. Oh, and sort I, of like a WeWork thing where you can sit, like not a room, but a, like a booth. No, they're tiny little booths. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. that'd be great. For podcasting, I put a little sound sure. booth in my uh, office. It would be easy to soundproof it for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's designed for that. It's it's <laughs> ventilated and everything. I didn't buy it, yeah. but Carl Carl Franklin had a bunch, has a three of them, I think. Really, his studio. <laughs> for, Why three? Why? Well, because we were make, back in the day, we were making a lot of podcasts, and they were multi-person. Yeah. So there was a there was a standalone booth, and there was a paired booth, so you could see each other. But yeah, you wow. don't want to be breathing on each other. That's pretty serious. <laughs> That's serious <laughs> podcaster. Yeah, they worked. Wow. They were good. Yeah, they're they're oddly dead. Like you're on. You're slightly. Yeah. It's a little too quiet in those. It's rooms. weird. Yeah. yeah, I actually like a little bit of ambient. Yeah, not too much. I don't want to amplify bit. my tinnitus. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't it's need that story entirely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apple is uh, rumored to yeah. be adding touch screens. Are you take a little victory lap now? No, I don't understand what they're doing. Uh, no, not really. And it's, by the <laughs> like, way, not if it, even if it's true, which it might not be, till well, 2025. Kermit, right? So exactly. I would say yeah. pretty but, accurate. So, but when you say Apple's going to do something two years from now, they could very well just say, well, never mind. We thought about yeah. it. But. Well, they apparently just canceled all their AR headset plans we've been babbling about for the past 20, you know, 20 really? months or whatever. What? Yeah. They're going to just go with a lower cost uh, VR, VR headset instead. And they're not going to do AR at all? At least not right away. They they were supposed to just they were going to announce delays. This in March. They, yeah, you know this was this was happening. Um, anyway, so I don't know how to view this. Right, aside from all the normal Apple nonsense, we we'll never do that. We know it doesn't make sense. Uh, two eagles don't make it, or two turkeys don't make an eagle, or whatever the mm-hmm. commentary was. I don't know. I, the, I, we talked about this months ago. I, I kind of made the point, like, one of the things, I, like I said, I review a lot of laptops. And i got to be honest, like, on a traditional laptop form factor, I don't think I want touch. I don't no. use it. I don't want it. I have it right here on um, this ThinkPad. I don't ever use it. It's I just, will say. It's just uh, out of reach. I, it's like, but the, but I just uh, our Mac guys I, said, oh, no, we want it because occasionally you want to hit OK. Uh, right. Geez, come on. So. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's one thing I really so PC makers have actually stopped shipping all multi-touch displays. That used to be a big problem. So now you have choices. That's good. I, I sometimes it's like a hair on the screen. You want to hit it, and you don't want like an application to go flying off the, <laughs> the screen or whatever. Uh, there's that. Um, there's also just the, the old hair on a screen problem. Of course, yeah, how could we forget? I mean, just being, you know, whatever it is, dust, dust, whatever. Is so, that a dead pixel or some snot? I don't know. <laughs> Something's on the screen. I would like, I would like it to be a choice. I will say, when I years ago, like when I think about Apple and their platforms and what they're doing, and they force uh, iOS and iPad developers to use Macs to create those apps, it would have been not, one thing. Advantage of the Windows platform is if you're making touch apps, 
on whatever platform, if you have a mm-hmm. touchscreen, you can interact with them very naturally as you create them in the emulator. Yeah, um, iPhone apps. I yeah, mean, that was the big that's one. what I mean. Like, right. I, I feel like that should have been uh, that would have benefited developers. So I feel like it should be an option. Um, but the thing is, like, Tim Cook has been very critical of Microsoft Surface products in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not; it's not as hypocritical as it sounds because he's not really doing the same thing as we're doing on Windows. Like, the point of touch and on Windows was to make Surface to make a tablet. It's a tablet. You can detach the keyboard and use it as a tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, what the what Apple is supposedly going to do is just add touch to de- to laptops, and that's a different animal. It's still a keyboard touchpad first product. Um, touch would be like the third UI, you know, the third interaction type or whatever. Um, so it's not really, it's not exactly the same thing. It, they still have a very distinct product in the iPad, or well, multiple <laughs> iPad products. Uh, they still have a very distinct uh, Mac. Um, I think, like I said, I think you can make a case for developers. And I guess, they're, you know, you want to click OK, whatever. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I, iPad I, I definitely have a machine, like a Surface Pro set up yeah. to be used as touch because, and it's set closer. Yeah. It's at a different stand. Okay. But, but, okay. but, I, but Apple's not doing last that. Time right? I, I mean, the, the only time I ever separated my Surface Book into two pieces is to annoy iPad people on a plane. Because you can disconnect it, turn it over the yeah, other way, yeah. and stand it up tent style that's right. to watch oh, on a plane is, or hang it yeah, on the back of a seat. It's really neat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and the iPad Although guys. I, I, yeah. that connection was this, it can be the source of uh, reliability issues too. I mean, oh sure. Uh, some on the early ones, especially, it would kind of rotate, kind of rotate out of the, you know, kind of misclick or whatever. Yeah, if it and, didn't uh, set that, right, that, you've that, got a problem. If you get a little red icon on the on that, you, yep, you're like, issues. oh, here we go. Here <laughs> yeah, we go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, obviously Apple has this catalyst technology that allows developers to bring iPhone and iPad apps to the Mac. And I suppose this will make those interactions more natural and easier because I, I suspect that the process for making those apps kind of, um, keyboard and, and touchpad friendly maybe was not as easy as Apple kind of advertised. And if you just support touch, that becomes less of a problem and maybe more of those apps will come the Mac becomes more valuable because you have more of those apps you can run. So it also is a way to get new versions out, right? Cause, Oh, now we have to make them all touch savvy. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there, but I, no, I don't, I don't actually, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that adding touch to windows was like a genius stroke or whatever. I, I, it's, it's that right tool for the job thing. I mean, I use a, what did you a end up using most of the time, right? Like that's well, the reality. You, you use certain things on. are good for certain things. Like I, I, the iPad that I have, I use for reading every day. It's great mm-hmm. for that. I, it, when I travel, I will occasionally watch a video on it. It's good for that. Yeah. Um, and I never, ever hold my Surface Book screen in my hand. It scares me. It just feels no, fragile. Just, oh, that's no, interesting, no, no. really. Huh? Yeah. yeah. No, it's no good. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I feel like a, like a laptop form factor, Mac or PC, whatever. I prefer Windows, but... Is is really good for that kind of work that I that I do every day, writing essentially, you know, right. using a keyboard. Um, and then you know, phone is good for what phone's good. So I, to me, those are three distinct devices. They make sense. I know, like cynically, you can be like, of course, Apple wants six devices. That's all they ever do. You know, they want you to buy an iPad mm-hmm. and Mac. And like, yeah, I, yeah, I, they do. But maybe those devices are different enough that that does make sense. He says, knowing that probably millions of people are using iPads with keyboards and touchpads right now. And I don't, you know, it, it, there's a weird, there is a weird yeah. crossover there, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know what to think of it. Cooler heads have prevailed. 
That's cool. That's, I didn't think yeah, I'd ever say that about yeah, Congress. Congress. Yeah, I know. That seems a little cool. odd. That's, but uh, I think the like army, Congress. because of this one guy, just couldn't yeah. say no to HoloLens. I know. And this was a one point seven five trillion dollar government it, funding. It was a bill. boondoggle. It was a. It was not yeah. going to work. Soldiers didn't want it. Yeah, so uh, the U.S. Congress has rejected the U.S. Army's request to spend an additional $400 million to buy 6,900 new custom HoloLens headsets for Microsoft this year. I have to think there um, are some people in the Army going, oh, thank God. Oh, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> but the um, So back uh, in the layoff bit, there was some language that was – there was a Satya Nadella email to employees that was leaked to GeekWire. That I'm just going to read this part of it because it said – among the other things that were going on, they said uh, Microsoft will be divesting in other areas, including taking a $1.2 billion charge in Q2 related to three different things, one of which was changes to our hardware p- portfolio. And I thought, man, is that is that about Surface? Is something going on with Surface? I talked to Mary Jo about it. I talked to Richard about it. And actually, it's related to HoloLens. Yeah, that makes sense. Very clearly. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, we lost so, Richard. He's a tiny little Richard. Tiny little Richard. Tiny oh, little what Richard. What happened to Richard? Uh-oh, we lost to Richard. All right. Well, it's just you now, Paul. <laughs> you and me, buddy. Uh, I knew it would come down to this eventually. So, <laughs> anywho, um, I guess what's going to happen now is that the Army is going to go has gone back to Microsoft and said, okay, let's, let's see if we can't do something about a better version of this, um, and we'll see what happens there. But I, I feel like this thing has kind of wound its course, you know? I don't – not that we're not going to see – Terminator headset, you know, something, something in the future. But I, I just, I just never felt right to I me. Wouldn't I wouldn't mean, have wanted to go into battle no, wearing. No, you see the picture of the guy wearing the headset and you're like, you know, I've worn a hall lens and I got to tell you, yeah. I'm not jumping over fences no. and firing a rifle. I'm just walking into walls and stuff. No. And like, it's not very, you know, mission affecting physical impairments. I'm like, yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> like I've used an hall lens. Like I, yeah, that makes sense to me. So I just don't. This doesn't seem right. Yeah. So I look. There's always going to be room for some kind of a heads-up display on some kind of a glass. Yeah. I mean, soldiers use uh, night vision goggles, but there's a yes. specific u- yep. use purpose for it. I think there's a uh, there's a gap we need to cross, or a, there's a, a gulf between that and these things, which yeah. is this giant, you know. Well, I think head, the intent like, was kind of like a heads-up display in combat, which, yeah, yeah that information's yeah, useful. That makes but, sense. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Even look, even playing video games, like if you, you pretend you're playing Call of Duty, it's it's fake war, right? Yeah. You hear gunfire, and listen. If you're a, if you're an expert in the field, you may know that the that sound that that thing made is this particular kind of bullet fired from this kind of machine, and it must be the enemy. And maybe if you're really good at it. But having something that says, hey, that thing happening over there, that's the bad guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's absolutely useful. That will never fail us. It will always work great. Um, but, you know, this giant headset. I mean, like the guy, you know, it's like picking off the guy sticking his head up from the ditch. The headset comes up like two seconds before the rest. Of it. It's like, uh, I think there's a guy over there. He's uh, got a pumpkin on his head. Um, you know, like it's just it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Fascinating. Never sense to me. I, yeah. I do feel like HoloLens got derailed by the U.S. Army. That I do you too. Know, yeah. 
Yeah. But it was these contracts were so big, I think it was yep, tied like, into some of these this, yep. other ones that they it just it distracted Alice Kipman, who's it, you know, now no longer involved. I completely agree. And but to be fair to Microsoft, the trick with HoloLens was always like this thing made sense in very specific vertical markets, none of which were gonna be the next, you know, huge business for Microsoft. And then the mm-hmm. US Army comes calling and they're like, Oh my god, here is the biggest vertical market of all, obviously. Right. We're going to pour all our resources. It, it it was the right thing for Microsoft to do. I guess what I'm, I, I think the way I look at it is like, I, this was not going to work. Like it's just. No. And, and it used right their research to dollars to innovate and hopefully be able to roll that back into your, the product. Like if I'm tremble, the guys who did the, hard hat version of the of the HoloLens and, and was pushing on this should be on every construction site. I'm pretty upset with Microsoft right now because yeah, there hasn't been a new headset not investing in that at all. Yeah. Yep. Well, and who knows if they are, but they, apparently HoloLens, I suspect if I'm Trimble, I saw the HoloLens 3 because it was very close to completion and then it right. went away. Yeah, yeah. Trimble was one of the demo right. uh, yeah. things they did so, with the early... HoloLens. The original mm-hmm. HoloLens 2 disappeared, and they did do a HoloLens 2. The original HoloLens 3 disappeared, and they mm-hmm. may still do one, right? Yeah. And and the internal take on this was it just wasn't a big enough leap, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, I mean, you know, two over one actually is a is a big leap. It's a, it is a big leap. Yeah, um, it, man, it was it's a substantial for a long time. I mean, it's just. Well, we've had a, two TikToks now. Like the hardware has advanced yeah. enough now that we should be able to have a large field of view, a longer battery life, and lighter, smaller device. You know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yep. And we just don't have it. And yeah. Anyway, I hundred percent. They were definitely um, distracted by this army thing. Understand. My concern right now is I can't tell you who's leading the project, and that to me, you yeah. know, if there's not somebody at the CVP level who this right. is one of the things they're hanging on, it's it's got a tough time getting anywhere. Yeah, for sure. I want to take a little break. We'll come back. We've got Xbox news, tips, Mm -hmm. tricks, apps, and whiskey. (laughs) All all things that makes a lot of sense to me. It does. It all all goes together (laughs) in some interesting way. Our show today brought to you by Tanium. We used to uh, call Tanium and talk about Tanium as the, uh, the emerging disruptors in the uh, in the security area. I don't think uh, they're emerging anymore, but they're definitely uh, have disrupted. Tanium's approach is so different. The industry's approach to cybersecurity is, Tanium says, fundamentally flawed. Tanium does it different. The way it has been, IT management and security point tools offer a small piece of the solution. You need to protect your environment. Many of them promise they can stop all breaches. They can't. And a lot of the problem comes because you're trying to figure this out with bad data or old data, trying to defend your critical assets from cyber attacks with tools that don't work together, that don't talk to each other. This is this is no way for IT teams to navigate today's very challenging attack surface. It's time for a different approach, and that's Tanium. Tanium says it's time for a convergence of tools, endpoints, and IT operations and security. They're really positioned very well for this modern world in which we have endpoints all over the place. We've got remote work, hybrid work. You know, everybody's BYOD. Tanium has solutions for government entities, for education, for financial services, retail and healthcare. You could trust their solutions for every workflow that relies on endpoint data. 
They've got asset discovery and inventorying. That and and you're going to hear a thread here tracks down every IT asset you own, and here's the common thread instantaneously. Tanium's fast. You don't wait for old data. You you get you get where you stand right now. They have they've risk and compliance management that'll help you fix and find and fix vulnerabilities in seconds at scale. At scale, you, you, uh, it, very sophisticated threat hunting. A technologies they do it in real time again speed is of the essence called client management allows you to automate operations from discovery uh, to management you've got sensitive data monitoring that'll index and monitor global data in seconds you got to keep track of that sensitive data you know and it could do it in seconds like that tanium protects organizations where other endpoint management and security providers have failed with a single platform Tanium identifies where all your data is across your entire IT estate, patches every device you own in seconds, implements critical security controls all from a single pane of glass. Kevin Bush, who is uh, vice president uh, of IT at Ring Power, says, quote, Tanium brings visibility to one screen for our whole team. And he says, and I think he's speaking from experience here, if you don't have that kind of visibility, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. If you're having trouble sleeping, you need Tanium. With real-time data comes real-time impact. Ready to unite operations and security teams with a single source of truth? Ready to confidently protect your organization from cyber threats? Well, then it's time you met Tanium. To learn more, visit Tanium.com slash twit, T-A-N-I-U-M. Tanium.com slash twit. We thank him so much for supporting Windows Weekly. With Polly T and Richie C, <laughs> and the show goes on with our Xbox segment. It's more of a Activision Blizzard segment these days, isn't yeah, it? Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> What's up? <sighs> well, we found someone other than Sony to complain about Microsoft's Activision Blizzard acquisition, and those two companies are Google and NVIDIA. <laughs> To, to other competitors. Like, although <laughs> Google has left cloud gaming, which is kind of interesting. And NVIDIA, of course, has their GeForce Now service, which is supposed to be really good these days. Um, so, yeah, they don't want it to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I don't really have much more to say about that. Stupid companies. That try to get- <laughs> but this still all seems like posturing, right? I mean, NVIDIA's exactly. thing was, all of this we want equal yeah. and open access to games. Like, if you're going to point at someone for that, point at Sony. Exactly. Are you kidding? Exactly. Yeah, a couple of shows ago, I had, like, that chart that uh, kind of showed, like, how many ex- platform exclusives there were, and Sony was, yeah. like, most of it, and then Nintendo and Microsoft were almost none of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, the, that's the, the gaming business. Like, I, we don't want other people to do what we're doing. Could someone put a stop to this? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's just like what? this crazy kind of outrage. Um, You're going to put Microsoft in third place in gaming? Oh, my yeah. God. Although, as uh, Satchel <laughs> described it, fourth place. <laughs> it's like, like what you know, I mean, come on. You know, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, well, actually, the other thing, you know, Richard and I talked about offline, mm. uh, which is this notion that... Um, Speaking of posturing, there's also what I would call regulatory posturing occurring here, which is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, regulators in the EU, which uh, is the second story, are expected to uh, file complaints about this uh, uh, acquisition, a warning, I guess, statement of objections, uh, the FTC, et cetera. 
Um, I, you know, these organizations kind of have to justify their existence, right? They can't mm-hmm. just, they can't just green light everything that happens anymore. We're, we're standing up to big tech here, you know, but as we've said so many times, uh, the concessions that Microsoft can make to satisfy all concerns are obvious and are, have already been put on the table. I, I, yeah. I, I think everyone's going to get what they want unless of course, what you want is I just don't want Microsoft to have this company, you know? Yeah, uh, there's a guy in my comment section who argues against this repeatedly. He keeps saying, "I just don't want Microsoft to have even more dominance in the uh, you know video game industry." It's like they don't, they don't have any. What are you talking about? They're in third place or fourth place. I don't know. I don't or know where fourth, fourth place. place comes from, but um, but at least third. I would call it third place. Um, but you can't have these organizations looking like they're rubber stamping trillion dollar companies. Like right. you, you have to. You, exactly. I, I remember do, working with acquisition, being on the side of selling something to a government entity where literally the acquisition offices says, now you have to give something to me. I'm not saying a bribe. I'm saying yep. I need to be able to say to my boss. No, no, I we can't. <laughs> we literally can't call it a bribe, but you are going to give no. me something. And uh, yeah. when it's done, you will have the thing that you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there has to be a concession of some kind, whatever. It yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys read Foss Patents, uh, which I think is a great website. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, they've done a great job of covering this stuff. And he, uh, Florian Mueller, has talked a lot, written about uh, other uh, regulators from around the world. So he, he has some interesting, he, he really goes through in great detail all of these rulings and, and you know, kind of makes, what are the points they're trying to make? Um, there have been some kind of lesser um, regulators, so to speak, like, you know, Brazil and Chile and uh, the UK, which is not really lesser, but who have just come out in support of this, right? Uh, the UK is not, I'm sorry, but the uh, Brazil and, and Chile have. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of what this involves is basically a kind of a public survey. Like, what, what do the people think of this, you know? And there's been some interesting data that has come out of this. Um, the, <laughs> I think it was the UK, which actually will probably issue some form of, uh, will try to block this in some way. 75% of rep- respondents to one of their surveys supported this acquisition, nice. and that included twice as many PlayStation users as it did Xbox users. <laughs> um, there was also, I, at the FNE, I must be, I think it's Chilean, uh, yeah, the Chilean regulatory body basically <laughs> basically wrote a report on what the FTC complaint was about and said, this in no way dissuades or discourages us from reaching our own conclusion, which is unconditional clearance. <laughs> Like they were just like <laughs> their complaint is nonsense. I I, yeah. I thought that was classic. Um, well, and everybody takes their cues from the Chileans. I, well, that, that's the the <laughs> thing. But the but right, of course they don't. But um, I think was it, I don't know if it was Brazil or or Chile, but one of the you know similar survey. Sixty one percent of gamers uh, said that they would simply if, if Call of Duty disappeared from the PlayStation, they would stick with PlayStation and just play other games. <laughs> Right. Okay. Only twenty percent of them said they would cause them to switch consoles. Yeah, there are other first-person shooter World War II semi-realistic games out there where you still run at thirty <laughs> miles an hour and can jump long distances. All right, so I'm going to take great exception to that because no, there are not. And <laughs> There's only one. No. <laughs> I mean, technically, I think there are, but I am not aware of them because there's only one game. That Why would be. anyone ever um, want to but play? The, but the I don't logical play it on PlayStation either, right? So who cares? It, yeah, it works no, fine on Xbox. Not. We're all PC master race anyway, if we have any sense. There you go. Which is probably the best way to play. I this, like honestly. the idea of making a play to the regulator to say, why don't you put in a regulatory rule about about game 
restrictions that they can only be restricted for 18 months or something like that. Well, yeah, let's make yeah, yeah. So- Sony cringe and say maybe this deal's okay right. as it is. You know, yeah, it's like Sony, we're really glad you brought up this issue of exclusivity. Yeah. We actually agree with you 100%. And we we therefore decree that you will have to bring all of your games to Xbox. All right. Well, thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) Really appreciate whatever. Yeah, stupid. Uh, And then this is just semi related, but I I think this this is kind of nice. So uh, Google, as everyone knows, cancels Stadia. Uh, I believe today is the day. I think today is the day it disappears. But one of their last acts uh, was to enable a uh, an update for the stadia controller that turns it into a normal bluetooth controller so you can use it elsewhere you can use it with your pc on other platforms whatever and that's that's nice i mean honestly the stadia controller is pretty good by the way everyone who bought one got it for free they give you your money back and now you have a nice uh, bluetooth controller you can use anywhere you want actually on mobile as well so nice yeah that was the right thing to do I'd like good to job. see that good job google yeah. yeah 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 good job yeah. Before we go on, I just want to mention there's about a week and a half left to mm-hmm. uh, take our survey. We do like you to do that if you can, just so we get to know you better. It helps us sell advertising on the show and helps us decide what shows to do. Uh, if you would just go to twit.tv slash survey 23, should only take you a few minutes. Completely optional. Any question you don't like, ignore. But it really is helpful for us and... Uh, we, we thank all the people who've done it. It's been great. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up at the end of the month. So get on over to twit.tv slash survey23. A little public service announcement from your friends at Twit. Nice. And now the back of the book, starting with a tip from Paul Thorat. Yeah, I think last week we talked about this new offering, I new-ish offering from Microsoft, uh, Microsoft 365 Basic, right? Which is this way to, you don't get the Office apps, right? But you get uh, 100 gigabytes of OneDrive storage. Uh, you actually get uh, uh, ad ad-free inbox like on Outlook.com, so it's you know a little a little different from the the previous OneDrive extra storage option. Um, and okay, that's fine. Whatever they rebranded this thing, they added a feature. Cool. Um, somebody posted this picture and I went and looked at it and there is a way to buy more OneDrive storage now. As it turns out, this is not actually brand new. And I, I, to me, it was brand new. And the weird thing is I just wrote about this in the Windows 11 field guide and I actually alluded to this in the book. So I actually knew this wasn't new at the time, but I, I just kind of zoned on it. But here's how this works. Sorry, I should say in the past, before this Microsoft 365 basic subscription existed, the only way you could add OneDrive storage to your Microsoft account was to buy that 100 gig tier, which was $199 a month. That was it. That was the only option. You couldn't stack them. You couldn't add more. You couldn't buy a terabyte, whatever. If you wanted more storage, you had to buy Microsoft 365 family or personal, right? And uh, in both cases, you get one terabyte of storage per user. Obviously, if you're an individual and you want to buy family, you get six terabyte accounts. You could, you know, there's different ways to tie those things together. You could use one for you know, videos or one for, you know, however you want to do it. You can do that if you want. Um, but as it turns out, once you do that, you can, in, fi- in fact, buy additional storage. You can't just keep stacking them. You can't go and go and go. But you can, for it, once you have any version of Microsoft 365, a paid version, consumer version, you can buy 200 gigabytes, 400 gigabytes, 600 gigabytes, 800 gigabytes, or one terabyte of additional storage. So, up to you can have up to two terabytes of storage in total per account. Hmm. Um, pricing is okay. You know, it's 
200 gigabytes is $1.99 a month. It goes up by $2, or yeah, $2 for each one. So by the time you get to a terabyte, it's $9.99 a month. There's no way to pay in a year, so you can't save money. So that one terabyte is going to cost you 120 bucks. That's not fantastic. I, I, I don't know this, but I feel like off the top of my head, I think Google, if you have like a Gmail account, you want to buy like two terabytes. I think that's probably 120 bucks a year. I think it's it's probably a better deal. But But if you're in the Microsoft space and you thought you were stuck at one terabyte, there is this way you can go about that. So it's available. At least it's better than nothing. I kind of wish these things were just available as standalone offerings. You know, if you didn't want Microsoft 365, but had a Microsoft account, but I believe they're not. I think you have to have a a Microsoft account first. And to check on that, uh, just go to the OneDrive site on the web and there'll be like a managed storage button somewhere down on the bottom left. And then you can, you'll see the plans and upgrades in there. So um, if you have... I have, do I have a way to do this? I don't have a way to do this right now, but I bet if you don't pay for Microsoft 365, that either isn't there or it just, you know, says there is nothing. But if you do pay for Microsoft 365, you'll see the five additional storage options. So that's pretty cool. Um, was that also was that a listener to that the, sent you that or you just discovered it? Uh, this Someone sent me a picture of it on Twitter and yeah. then I was like, oh, good. They finally added extra storage then options. But then, what, then I realized, actually, this is not new yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only is it not new, I knew about it because I actually so alluded stuff. to it in the book. It's You can be forgiven for not remembering that. That's, I wrote about this like three months ago. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Like I <laughs> <No>. just, <laughs> My brain overfloweth. Yes. Um, I haven't talked about this in a while, but one of the things I am going to be adding to the book is... Uh, sections in relevant chapters to kind of work around, right? So, for example, uh, if you are confounded by the limitations of the Windows 11 start menu or taskbar or desktop, uh, you might consider something like start 11. So I'm going to start adding those things to the book. One of the things I'm, uh, uh, the thing I'm most eager to add to the book, however, is this thing called MS Edge Redirect. And this is a project on GitHub uh, where you run an EXE and it prevents Windows 10 or 11 from using Edge when you specify a different browser as your default browser. So, for example, you click on a story in the widgets uh, board, you click on a search result in um, search highlights or just in search, or any of, the, any of the other times where the OS says, yeah, we don't really care what you chose, we're going to load Edge, uh, it redirects it and uses your browser. So I've been trying that on a couple of different computers. It works great. I don't actually click on these things a lot, honestly. I don't use widgets and I don't use search. Uh, but I've been testing it because I want to write about it, and uh, it's free, obviously. So um, I guess the best thing to do is just Google MS Edge Redirect is the name of this. So it's something that's probably going to have to be updated a lot over time because Microsoft has, in the past at least, I don't know recently, but back when Windows 11 was new about 15 months ago, was actively working to thwart these kind of workarounds. Um, <laughs> we talked a lot great. about it, I remember. Yeah, we sure did. Um, the other app, uh, the other set of apps I wanted to mention, and this may surprise some people, <laughs> is because I actually think they're pretty good, is Apple has finally belatedly started to replace iTunes on Windows with uh, three new apps. Uh, Apple TV, which is for videos, obviously, Apple Music, and Apple Devices. And Apple Devices is that, um, you know, manage your iPod or your iPhone kind of thing, or you, you want to use your computer to transfer data back and forth. It's that thing that was built into iTunes that you kind of had to have iTunes. Um, I don't I use Apple TV Plus. I don't use Apple Music, and I don't. I would never connect my phone to my computer for this kind of thing. But I did, as part of a, my most recent examination of Windows 11 on ARM, on a I think it was the yeah Lenovo ThinkPad X11s, something like that, X13s. Um, look at iTunes, 
which is a steaming pile of garbage. And in fact, it was so bad, I put it on a really fast computer, just uh, Intel computer, just to see. And it's horrible. It's like iTunes today, iTunes 10 years ago, is is and was one of the worst written applications Always. of all time. Oh, it was horrible. terrible. Yeah. These apps are it wasn't even so great for, on the Mac, to be honest with okay, you. Okay, <laughs> that I'm not as familiar with. But iTunes was a piece of garbage. Um, Apple TV, Apple Music, and Apple devices uh, are in preview for the Windows, on Windows 11 only, I believe. I don't think they're going to Windows 10, which is a little you know, questionable. But um, at least they're on preview now. You need the exact URLs to get them. You can't just search for them in the store yet. Uh, but if when you find them, install them. If you use any of those apps or the services, uh, give it that. Honestly, they're really... Nice. The only weird thing about them, let me bring up, I think I did it on this. Yeah. The only weird thing about it was um, I have a big music library that I sync. To, I don't use Apple Music, but I, I do use iTunes Match. So I have my CD rip libraries up in the cloud or whatever. And I, the first time I use this, you know, I, I went, I brought up my library. You bring up an album. You're like, okay, click the song and play. And it says, oh, you have to authorize this computer before you can, you know, play here. I'm like, yeah, okay, obviously, of course. So you click OK, and then the authorization box goes away, and there's no way to authorize. <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? So you kind of click around, like, where is this thing? Like, where is uh, Just so you know, it's not in settings. <laughs> it's, you can't find it that way. In the bottom left of the UI is your profile name, and Paul throughout in my case. When you click on that, it will say authorize machine. And you, oh. uh, you, there is no indication in the UI where you have to find this thing. Jeez. So it's, I know. But honest, but OK, that aside. These apps, uh, they probably look a lot like they do on the Mac, honestly, but they support light and dark mode. They, they're very, um, they look like Windows apps, like like modern Windows apps, you know, like a UWP or a, a Windows app, SDK app. Like they look nice, like they're nice. There's no reason not to. Just hire somebody who writes Windows software. How they hard probably, is that? They probably did exactly yeah. that, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess the point. Point is like I, I I would pre based on my previous experience with Apple apps and Windows I would be predisposed to think this would be terrible and honestly these are I don't know what took so long but the the they're, remnants they're of Steve Jobs are slowly wafting oh God, yeah. into fading the, away yeah the real question is where does podcast show up they don't uh, yeah. to my knowledge I don't believe there is a way on windows to access okay. Apple podcasts. there's plenty of ways to do it in is windows. there an apple podcast client on yeah. Uh, mac yeah there is okay yeah. mm. but who cares yeah so if you're an i right if you're an iphone nobody user, listens to podcasts goodness nobody. Knows. <laughs> <laughs> well <clears throat> yes um i don't fortunately we do netcasts so we're all right there you go mm. for the people Actually, you love or from, people. from people you love for, for <laughs> podcasts you love from yeah. people you trust yeah. there it is um uh, lisa says she says I, because we for a long time I foolishly, quixotically, mm -hmm. said we're we're a netcast, we're not a podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. Couldn't convince anybody. And a couple of years ago, I was at a podcast expo. I finally got convinced. All right, we're to change it all to podcast. Now Lisa says, I wish you'd kept it netcast because it's a lot harder to sell podcasts these days. <laughs> yeah. We could say, oh, we're not a podcast, we're a netcast. Oh, netcast. Well, almost wasn't well. there a what was that Netscape communicator feature that was about? Wasn't there a netcasting thing? Or wasn't there a feature? Oh, that maybe. Thing? I don't remember that. Maybe. Yeah, oh, you're thinking movie. of that program that would the, yeah, the, get the your woman news. who left Netscape and started the thing and it was yeah. something cast. What, yeah. what was that called? Do you remember? Oh, God, it was awful. I remember everybody would yeah. come into work at the site 
uh, back in the mid '90s and turn on point. It was cast, a big deal for about point 15 cast. minutes. Yeah, they point they, cast. Point cast. They turn on their machine and there'd be no internet access for about 45 minutes while it, oh, every machine all, yeah. downloaded the latest news because yes. it wasn't. It was pull and uh, <laughs> it was terrible. I'm not sure if that is that not what you're thinking? It might not be. That's, I don't think it's something, but it's something like this. There it, was yeah. point cast. I remember it was that. a person back from in the that day. state back who left that company. It was a woman though who ran it. I don't know. Oh uh, boy, interweb. No, but no, I think we're just you're just making up words. It will now. come to me when I'm yeah. I'm taking a shower, or walking. I'll I know. You know. Hey, I saw a recent study. I think it's wrong. That says the reason you have uh, brilliant thoughts while you shower mm-hmm. is uh, because you're doing something so trivial that your mind can wander. So you right. kind of go on automatic. I don't think that's true because I do trivial things all the time, like wash the dishes, <laughs> make the bed, sure. and I don't get great sure, thoughts. Sure. You never say, "Oh, I got a great making the bed thought." But I think well, it's the combination. There's something of, to this. Oh yeah, I don't so think I it's use, wrong. This is why, actually, why I play video games. Uh, during the day, I'll play like yeah, a ten minute match, yeah. and as so I get my mind off the thing I'm writing, and I'm focusing yep. on not really focusing, but yep. I'm mindlessly playing this, and then it's like, oh, that's the I the have word a, I was looking for the you know a completely unscientific theory, which is yes, it's mm-hmm. that plus. The steam dilates the capillaries, and more blood's getting to your brain. Same reason you do it when you walk, or you know yeah. when you're walking. You do better. So there is thinking. a stimulation, in other words. Yeah, it's too. It's too. The There's two definitely together. something to walking outside that is absolutely um, just because yeah, you're zoning is. out. Your mind is getting to think, but you're also getting some blood going. You know how you know when you're in the zone is when you're walking and maybe you're listening to like an audiobook or something, and you're like, no, you're like, just turn this thing off. Like I, I have to. I think. need to. Yeah. Like yeah, I just want to think. Focus. I think this is something we're losing as a oh god yeah generation. We're would constantly. Like. Quiet. It's weird. We're constantly stimulated. It's, Constantly. I think it's also a frame of referencing. You know how you think, oh, I need to go get that thing. Then you walk into the room, yeah. and now you can't remember the context the exactly. switch. Yes, that when you yeah, when you change right. rooms, those things are absolutely related and are yeah. in many ways like the opposite. But it's probably the same, the same, the same mechanism. trigger. Or yeah, yeah, the same yeah, yeah mechanism. Yeah, change Basically. the frame of reference. Basically, we have yep. no idea how the brain works. No. And we're, we're just making things <laughs> But we will up. opine on it endlessly. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. going to be good to have some Enterprise Picks of the Week. Mm-hmm. And I believe Mr. Richard Campbell's going to do the honors. Hey, everybody. Leo Laporte here. I am the founder and one of the hosts at the Twit Podcast Network. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do here at Twit. Because I think it's unique. And I think for anybody who is uh, bringing a product or a service to a tech audience, you need to know about what we do here at Twit. We've built an amazing audience of engaged, intelligent, affluent listeners who listen to us and trust us when we recommend a product. Our mission statement as Twit is to build a highly engaged community of tech enthusiasts. Already you should be, your ears should be perking up at that because highly engaged is good for you. Tech enthusiasts, if that's who you're looking for, this is the place. We do it by offering them the knowledge they need to understand and use technology in today's world. And I hear from our audience all the time, part of that knowledge comes from our advertisers. We are very careful. We pick advertisers with great products, great services, with integrity, and introduce them to our audience with authenticity uh, and genuine enthusiasm. And that makes our host red ads different from anything else you can buy. We are literally bringing you to the attention of our audience and giving you a big fat endorsement. 
We like to create partnerships with trusted brands, brands who are in it for the long run, long-term partners that want to grow with us. And we have so many great success stories. Tim Broom, who founded IT Pro TV in 2013, started advertising with us on day one, has been with us ever since. He said, quote, we would not be where we are today without the Twit Network. I think the proof is in the pudding. Advertisers like IT Pro TV and Audible that have been with us for more than 10 years, they stick around because their ads work. And honestly, isn't that why you're buying advertising? You get a lot with Twit. We have a very full-service attitude. We almost think of it as kind of artisanal uh, advertising, boutique advertising. You'll get a full-service continuity team. People who are on the phone with you, who are in touch with you, who support you from with everything from copywriting to graphic design. So you are not alone in this. We embed our ads into the shows. They're not... They're not added later. They're part of the shows. In fact, often they're such a part of our shows that our other hosts will chime in on the ad saying, yeah, I love that. Or just the other day, one of our hosts said, man, I really got to buy that. (laughs) That's an additional benefit to you because you're hearing people, our audience trusts saying, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, We deliver, always over deliver on impressions. So you know you're going to get the impressions you expect. The ads are unique every time. We don't pre-record them and roll them in. We are genuinely doing those ads in the middle of the show. Uh, We'll give you great onboarding services. Ad tech with pod sites that's free for direct clients. Gives you a lot of reporting. Gives you a great idea of how well your ads are working. You'll get courtesy commercials. You actually can take our ads and share them across social media and landing pages. That really extends the reach. There are other free goodies, too, including mentions in our weekly newsletter that's sent to thousands of fans, engaged fans who really want to see this stuff. We give you bonus ads and social media promotion, too. So if you want to be a long-term partner, introduce your product to a savvy engaged tech audience visit twit.tv slash advertise check out those testimonials mark mccrary is the ceo of authentic you probably know him one of the biggest uh, original podcast advertising companies we've been with him for 16 years mark said the feedback from many advertisers over 16 years across a range of product categories everything from razors to computers is that if ads and podcasts are going to work for a brand They're going to work on Twitch shows. I'm very proud of what we do because it's honest, it's got integrity, it's authentic, and it really is a great introduction to our audience of your brand. Our listeners are smart, they're engaged, they're tech savvy, they're dedicated to our network. And that's one of the reasons we only work with high integrity partners that we've personally and thoroughly vetted. I have absolute approval on everybody. If you've got a great product, I want to hear from you. Elevate your brand by reaching out today at advertise at twit.tv. Break out of the advertising norm. Grow your brand with host red ads on twit.tv. Visit twit.tv slash advertise for more details. Or you can email us advertise at twit.tv if you're ready to launch your campaign now. I can't wait to see your product. So give us a ring. Uh, this week's Run As Radio I did with April Edwards, where we talked a lot about sort of the state of the DevOps practices in organizations. And so Azure DevOps came up as part of that conversation. Uh, and I thought it's a it's a great enterprise product. It's usable for a lot of things. It's actually the the cloudification version of 
Team Foundation server, but greatly expanded into more of the sort of classic set of agile practices, having pin boards. What and, is and, DevOps? You hear this term all yeah. the time. Hmm. What does that mean? I, we, Back in the old days, we used to call them high-functioning teams. Oh. You know, when, when, when you, <laughs> like, like, like a high-functioning alcoholic? What do you... <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wouldn't know anything about that, Paul. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but it was sort of the reality of, are we all pulling in the same direction? You know, that, that yeah. you, you often get into these silos in organizations where the developers are, are high, hurling code over the wall for the for the ops guys to deploy and so forth. And the, the, this is Jez Humble and a bunch of other great folks uh, that, that started this DevOps movement where they said, hey, let's all work, work closely together because actually our goal is to provide customer value. And as long as we can focus on the overall customer value, uh, all of that gets better. I always and, got the sensation that it was also had something to do with automation. Well, you, like you tooling, write code, you... I don't know. That's what I'm asking. So I don't know. And so the, and this is where the tooling piece comes into it. Right. So there's sort of this idea of, you know, culture and process and then ultimately tooling. So the, yeah, the that fact that we sense. will have get together and have these meetings and talk uh, about overall value and how yeah. we each contribute. Yeah. And, and Azure DevOps is ultimately a set of tools for facilitating that. And the big one from the developer perspective is this, the CICD pipeline, this idea that when I check in code, an automated process kicks off that now runs all the tests and does the build and right. pushes it into a position where it can be taken over by QA or even as far as rolled into production. So CICD is related uh, in a way. And, and Continuous integration, continuous delivery is a portion of the, the, okay. the Azure DevOps suite. Right. But I've also seen the tooling in Azure DevOps used for just project management. Yeah. For just here are a set of tasks. Here are the different people working on them. Here are our current blockers like that. All of that mechanism works the same. So, and, and I bring it up more than anything because often organizations own it already. It's part of a package they've bought, whether through the volume license agreement or through their Azure agreements. They're just not using it. They don't know they have it. They're like, oh, well, that's for people making SaaS softwares. Like, well, SaaS folks definitely use it, but so do many others. So, I mean, it's a powerful set of tools, one way or the other. It's often driven by existing organizations who moved off the on-prem source control systems and, uh, and CICD pipelines, their custom-built ones, to go use the cloud because it's cheaper uh, and somewhat easier to use, a little more reliable. And it has all the pieces in place. You're no longer fighting, setting stuff up, configuring it, and, and, and all of those issues. Not that any of it's easy to set up. Like All of these things take effort. And there are many different sets of solutions here. What What's appealing about Azure DevOps and the enterprise level is that you already own it. It's all of the pieces, so you're doing a lot less role your own, and it's easier to hire people that already understand those bits and can pull the pieces together uh, and and can get people involved. Uh, the biggest thing that I think April and I talked about over the course of 40 minutes or so was making sure everyone's involved. There's a place for business stakeholders, certainly a place for security in this. Like Everyone has a contribution to make to that customer value that's important. And so the to making sure the tooling is inclusive of well makes you all the more successful with it. I'm a big one for tooling. That's why I use Emacs. Mm -hmm. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. It's also why I want to know more about whiskey. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Did you describe well, Emacs as an IDE? <laughs> no. It has IDE-like components. If you're using a language like the language of my choice, Lisp, 
Emacs is is the only way really to do it right because you've it's just so integrated beautifully. I just wanted to see where where you were on the IDE yeah. spectrum. It's know? not an yeah. I it, well well I have auto completion so that's one. Yeah. I can hover over uh you know a, a function and see the other function. You know there's lots of hover over nice. capabilities so there's it's it's very similar. You have project based mm-hmm. capabilities so you can open a project um you it, you you have uh if you stay on a, a a keyword it will give you a definition of the keyword if you've set up your emacs to do that yeah. and there's you know things like that so it's but the mostly it's that you have two frames open a new you, computer and you had emacs is there a way to automate the bringing in of everything yeah i have my emacs so all my emacs dot files are stored on github so i just clone oh, that nice. repository and my emacs is set up it's very quick to set up and then um, because uh, I like that you use GitHub as OneDrive. That's good. <laughs> well, it's good well, because I, I can uh, commit from different machines if I yeah, update no, it and, and stuff. So it's very it's kind of similar to having a code base. I, I like having all that automation around there because then in the comments I can say this machine configured by a tool. Yeah, yeah, and I'm the tool. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and then I wasn't talking about you, Leo. Because, That's what it says on my because, machine about me. Because Lisp development is very interactive because you have a REPL going all the time and. Yeah. Lisp is unique, and this is the best thing about it. In the you, if if you have a bug in your code, it drops in the debugger. You can modify the code while it's still running, and then finish the execution. Or you can you know you can you can develop in this interactive way that is remarkable. It's really great. Yeah, very it's, powerful, and it, it's certainly something they do in .NET for exactly that same reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, Lisp, it's interesting because as much as it's mocked, has influenced most modern languages. Oh, without a doubt. To one I wasn't Lisp's tagline, it was hard to write, so it should be hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're thinking of Perl, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I think actually Lisp code is very clear because it doesn't No, have- right. Lisp's, Lisp's tagline was... Some brackets are good, so more brackets are better. Yeah, but they're all the same bracket. You don't have yes, curly braces and square ones. No and square there's ones. no yeah. semicolons. It's pretty, it's a little simpler in that regard. I and 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 Emacs does very well with having the two frames open and your REPL in one frame and the other. And it's very it's an it, I like it. It's just I, I'm used to it. But it's what it reminds me of is how important tooling is. You know, choosing a language is one thing, but honestly, you've got to think about the tooling available. Uh, because that makes a huge difference. It really does. Uh, let's talk. I'm excited about this one, although it looks like Glenn Livett's page for this is 404. Yeah, so, it's a little broken right now, which is unfortunate. But I And I picked Glenn Livett Nadura because it fits in my repertoire of uh, different classes of whiskey that I keep around for different sorts of folks. So It's a very interesting. I, look how light and pale it is. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And it's typically I will pour this for someone who likes That's whiskey. That's not a good picture of that, by the way. Yeah. Well, and it, but, it, but it is actually a very pale whiskey. It's pale. Uh, yeah. But let me tell you the story behind this because it goes back a fair ways. It actually goes back to the Shackleton Expedition of 1907. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so when Shackleton did his ex- his explorations of Antarctica, which not, did not go particularly well, uh, they a bunch of the things that he left behind. There was a bunch of stuff he left behind. And in 2006, fast forward 100 years, uh, a group of uh, explorers were inspecting the the shack that was still there, been there for 100 years. And they were concerned because there was more ice melt and so forth that was going to damage it. So they were actually underneath it trying to put in dams to protect the structure to keep it healthy. And while they were under there, they found 
a case of whiskey. They'd been under there for a hundred years. Wow. And it was, it was this? And it, No, it was oh. not. Remember, I'm telling a story here. So oh, okay. it's going to be lengthy. Okay. Uh, and so the, this whiskey was actually a white McKay whiskey that was made specifically for Shackleton at the time. Uh, it had a higher alcohol level because he was concerned it was going to freeze, which it did anyway. But that's a separate problem. Uh, and it was a full case. It was a dozen bottles, although a couple of them were damaged. A few of them were not. And so uh, there was an auction and the white McKay folks got those bottles and they pulled some of the whiskey out of it. And then recreated it in an edition called Shackleton, oddly enough, for $250 a bottle. How interesting. Uh, yeah, it was a great marketing story. Yeah, because uh, it there, really isn't the same, obviously. No, it, it and but the funny part is Glenlivet's like the oldest distillery going. So when you actually look at what the makeup of the Shackleton whiskey was, what it was was... An old school whiskey, yeah, the way whiskey right. used to be made, which was very normal to be blended. It typically wasn't colored with caramel. It didn't get, get colored with caramel, which is why it was lighter colored. It was typically aged in oak barrels. This is before international trade made it easy to buy barrels from lots of different locations. So it tended to be paler in color. And it also wasn't chill filtered. Ah. Now, chill filtration became very hip in the 70s when they were trying to make whiskey popular because... Old school whiskeys, when you put ice in them, go cloudy. And that was considered an inferior product. And so chill filtration was an approach where you rapidly chill down the undiluted distillate that's come out of the barrels and certain particulates freeze and fall to the bottom Ah, of the cask. The things that make it cloudy. The things that make it cloudy and now it's clear. And so what Livet did when they saw the hit that was shackled, they said, you guys just want an old school whiskey? Geez, we've only been doing that for 200 years. Let's see. Let's make one again. <laughs> what Nadura is, is a, a Glenlivet without any color treatment and without any chill filtration. And it tastes different. So it's one of the reasons I keep it around for folks. It's also cask strength, eating. right? Uh, they, no. It's uh, not. Because cask strength is too variable. Right? Oh, they want to... Okay. People like, like what Livet figured out why they became one of the most successful whiskey makers very early on was how to make consistent whiskey. How do you make the, the, the extraordinary thing about a Macallan 12 is that it tastes like Macallan 12 yeah, every year. So good, too. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. And, it, and it's incredibly complicated. It's about a lot of different barrels go into making a given edition Blending. of Macallan 12. Yeah, that's actually what uh, here in Napa County. Or next door in Napa County, that's what they do to get a consistent wine. Is you, you know you have to taste it and blend it until you get it consistent. If you're making it from the same grape, it's going to change year to year every sure. year. Sure, yeah. it's just the nature of growing, right? That's right. what natural things look like. So what I enjoy about Nadura for people who like whiskey and are just getting into it in a big way, it's I've taken away all of the common things. It doesn't have that robust color you equate with quality. Hmm. It doesn't. It, it is not particularly long aged. And it has that lack of chill filtration introduces a bunch of flavors that were always there. They're just typically removed that we it's oilier. It's got more texture to it. And so it's not something I'll pour for someone who doesn't know anything about whiskey. It's it's a more authentic, you think, kind of more. Well, one would argue old school. Old school. Is is it old school more authentic? It's more of the original flavor. It's how it used to be. Yes, Richard, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and for me, the big thing is saying, 
how much, you know, always the question when you're talking about anybody who's becoming an aficionado is how much is brand affecting you? How yeah. much is appearance affecting yep. you? Yep. And, and Nadura is one of the few examples where a bunch of that has been stripped away. Is, you know, does Nadura mean I'm making this up in my head natural? I think that's the implication, but I think they just made the word up. Oh, okay. Because it sounds very Celtic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It almost sounds like it could be like an Eskimo name or something like a. Mm. Yeah. No, apparently it does mean natural and Gaelic, but with that's what I. It feels so like it's I'm a sure Gaelic we're mispronouncing word. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nadra. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Scottish. You're going to have to hock a loogie. Oh, it's a great whiskey. Completely nadra. Um, I want some now. I can't find it, unfortunately. I think it's one of those that... Uh, they, they're not the least expensive bottle, depending yeah. on where you're looking. They, yeah. Last time I bought it in Canada, I think it was 100 Canadian dollars. So that's like... A million dollars US. Dollar fifty Canadian American? <laughs> okay. It's a $50, $60 bottle, if you can right. find one. I see a lot of reviews. I don't see anybody selling it. I just went and looked at K&L, mm -hmm. uh, which is our local kind of... Uh, it's 16 years old. That's interesting too. Yeah, hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Yeah, and remember that the year appellation is always the youngest thing that's in the bottle. That's the oh, rules. interesting. So there's often there's some older blended in to get to a particular flavor profile, but they have to put the youngest that's in the bottle. I'm gonna have to go down to Visalia to get it. <laughs> they have 59 bucks in Visalia. I guess Rosie's market go. doesn't know what they've got. This liquor's too clear. We're going to have to sell it cheaper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's less expensive. Very not. I'm loving this education. And I'm not even drinking this stuff. I'm just loving learning about it. Especially that Shackleton story. That's so cool. The Shackleton story is great. Yeah. And, and then the, there's a modern version of Shackleton that I'm making, which is remarkably unimpressive. Yeah. But a lot less expensive. Yeah. Uh, you want an impressive. That, I'll give you this whiskey that's made by a San Francisco startup. It's not aged. It's uh, chemically altered to taste like it's been aged. And that it, would be worth a taste. It tastes absolutely. like rubber. Well, the next no time GMOs you're here, I'll give, in the creation I'll give of this you whiskey. the bottle. You can have it. <laughs> Amy Webb, our futurist, sent it to me. The future of whiskey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the future of Windows Weekly, except next week you're going to be in London. Won't be here, right, Richard? No, I won't be around. Uh, we'll miss no, you. Right uh, but we will do the show, of course, as we always do, on a Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for the East Coasters. Uh, that is 1900 UTC. So in London time, it'll be about 7 p.m. Uh, you can watch us do it live at live.twit.tv. There's live audio and video at that address. If you're watching live, you can participate live, which is kind of fun. In fact, I've been thinking, Paul, maybe next week when Richard's not here, we can take some calls from uh, the uh, and questions from the chat room and from the Discord with the club members uh, to fill in for uh, Richard. They can they can pitch in with their favorite uh, booze or something. Um, hmm. Hmm, he says, hmm. well, if that's your idea, I guess. No, we'll have some fun with that. Uh, IRC.twit.tv. That's the place to ask and talk amongst yourselves. Of course, Club Twit members have their own special place, our Discord, which is so much fun. Uh, Club Twit is well worth the $7 a month. What do you get? You get, uh, well, ad-free versions of all of our shows, which I think is pretty special. You get access to the creepy uh, animated GIFs in the Club Twit uh, Discord. <laughs> and uh, you also get the Twit Plus feed with things like Paul's uh, unique to the club, hands-on windows, uh, just for the club. So, some really good stuff uh, in there. We also have 
Um, some events coming up. I know. I love the animated gifts. I literally just closed this card, so I didn't have to see that. <laughs> I know. I don't blame you. <laughs> Tomorrow, Lisa and I, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, right about midnight, UTC, we'll be talking about Inside Twit. We haven't done one of those in a couple of years, so that should be fun. You can join us, ask questions. Win to down next in a couple of weeks, the uh, host of All About Android. She's a developer. Uh, loves her Kotlin. She's a Kotlin developer on uh, Android. And uh, Daniel Suarez, whose new book is just out, Critical Mass, will be doing a triangulation uh, and questions from the club on February 10th. We just got the book in. So club members get access to some special events like that, ad-free versions of all the shows, the Twit Plus feed, seven bucks a month. We should charge more. We're not going to, though. Twit.tv slash club. Twit, if you want to join, we'd sure appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I just got Daniel's uh, new book. I'm very excited. Critical Mass. Can't wait to talk to him on uh, February 10th. Guys had the same uh, person narrating his books, I think, since the very beginning. He has. He's good, mistaken. too. Do you like his yeah. uh, narrator? I think he's yeah, really I do. good. I do. Yeah. I think that's kind of important. Uh, Jeff Gurner. He's really, he's got a, he's just got a great style. Yeah. Remember Demon, the first passages of Demon, and Gurner reading it, and it just explodes? I would say, yeah, like those first maybe three books are incredible. The best. Freedom, what was Freedom? Demon, Freedom, TM. TM. Um, And then uh, he did Kill, what is Kill Decision, which was... Kill Decision. Yeah, Yeah. Influx, Change Agent. Um, Delta V, he wrote a couple of years ago, and this is the follow-up to this, and this is about space exploration, which is something he's very excited about. Uh, an asteroid, you know, uh, reclamation and stuff. So, great stuff. Thank you, Richard. How long are you going to be in London, you lucky dog? Just a week. Oh, just a week. London for a week, then home for a week, then Stockholm for a week. Wow. Wow. And you're speaking at conferences? Do you want to plug these conferences? Uh, at the at London, it's the NDC London Conference. Will be at the Queen Elizabeth II Center. Nice. And in Stockholm, we'll be at the conference center in Stockholm, and that is a conference called Svetdag, which means sweat dog, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Richard is the host of Run As Radio, runasradio.com, .net rocks as well. And uh, Rich Campbell on the Twitter and the Mastodon. Paul Thorat is Thorat. Dot com. That's his website, his blog. Join and become a, as you can see, I'm a premium member. The best stuff there. Well worth joining. And don't forget his field guide to Windows 11, which is out now and includes the field guide to Windows 10. So it's downward compatible, as all good <laughs> Windows products should be. Sure. Uh, is at leanpub.com. Choose your own price. Leanpub.com. Gentlemen, have a wonderful week. Have fun in London, Richard. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. We'll see yeah. you next week on Windows Weekly. Bye-bye. Hey, I'm Rod Pyle, Editor-in-Chief of Ad Astra Magazine, and each week I join with my co-host to bring you This Week in Space, the latest and greatest news from the final frontier. We talk to NASA chiefs, space scientists, engineers, educators, and artists, and sometimes we just shoot the breeze over what's hot and what's not in space, books, and TV. And we do it all for you, our fellow true believers. So whether you're an armchair adventurer or waiting for your turn to grab a slot in Elon's Mars rocket, join us on This Week in Space and be part of the greatest adventure of all time. <laughs>